Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. The movies this week are Deadly Prey and Surviving the Game. Ah, hunting season again. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. So I just started recording, because this is worth discussing. Uh, so Doug just informed us that he's, he doesn't know who Joe Bob Briggs is, or what, like what the whole phenomenon with Joe Bob is. So he's... I don't know. I guess would you call him a horror host? I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> would you call him that? Well, I mean, it's not like you think horror host. You think like Spinguli and Elvira and like all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing like purposefully spooky about him. Well, and the difference the difference is, I, I would say the humor's the same. I mean, there actually probably isn't much difference between Joe Bob's humor and Elvira's humor. You know what I mean? lots of dirty jokes and, and that kind of stuff. The difference is Joe Bob is quite possibly the most wizened of all the horror hosts. That yes. dude knows horror in this way that like is unfathomable to me. I can't even understand how his brain can retain yeah. that much information. Currently, he's going around the country doing lectures on exploitation films. That apparently the lectures are like four hours long, and right. I, w- I want to go to one, but there's not one that's like close to us. Right, and he could probably do a four-hour lecture on one horror movie. You just pick any random horror mm-hmm. movie, and he could probably talk for. So, so sort of the Joe Bob character is this this redneck guy who, um, just talks about the movie that you know they're showing. Um, but he'll just rattle off weird facts and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to sort of explain, I guess. Like, his old set was like an old like uh, trailer or whatever, and he sat out in front of it. And, like, the beginning of the movie, he gives you all these stats. Like, you know, 24 severed heads, uh, three and a half breasts, and, like, all this stuff. And just, like, sort of counts them down. And it's usually pretty hilarious. And then he just has some nice... Uh, sort of wisecracks, and then, yeah, he pops in anytime there's a commercial break. They come back from commercial, he'll pop it, say something else for a couple minutes, and then go back into the movie. Yeah, his big thing is the the three Bs of horror movies, which is blood, beasts, and breasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he's really funny, and just, I don't know, like Noah said, he knows a lot, so it's always interesting he'll just rattle off some weird shit that you've never heard before yeah he goes on these 
these crazy horror movie tangents where he'll start talking about something and he almost like gets distracted. And it's really hard to tell if he's just a really, really good actor and it's all scripted or if it's just they had the camera rolling and he started talking about something <laughs> and just went off for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah his last... Uh... Was it the Christmas one, or was it even just maybe the one-off that he was supposed to be doing the marathon? I don't know. He just railed on Trump throughout the entire show. It was pretty hilarious. Huh? Um, interesting. But yeah, he had like a show of Monster Vision on TNT. Didn't, didn't he have a show before that? Like somewhere on some other lower tier channel or something well yeah it's been three times so there's hold on monster vision and fuck they in the show fuck that seems hold on it'd be hard to get that on the air you'd think well it's shutter you can just do whatever it's funny because it's basically been he's done the same show basically four times in the exact same format. And it's had a different name every time because the fucking TV stations <laughs> retain the rights to the name, but not any of his stuff. Yeah. So monster vision, I think was like the really popular one. The sort of everybody knows because you know, TNT is kind of a bigger cable channel. And then a lot of people our age, like they grew up watching it. So then there's a lot of nostalgia for it. And then Shudder was going to have him come back for something called The Last Drive-In and just do a marathon, 13 hours of him doing a show. And they were not expecting it to be as popular as it was. So it crashed the website for like the first couple hours. Nobody could get on to watch it. So it was it was originally on TMC and it was called the uh, just Drive-In Theater. And then after it went off air, uh, Showtime picked it up and it became Monster Vision. And then after that went off the air, I want to say didn't didn't TNT or somebody pick it up for a little while? Well, TNT is what Monster Vision was on. Oh, wasn't it on Showtime for a while? I don't think so. I mean, if it was, I don't remember it, but. Yeah, but so they did the one-off special, and it was so popular, it crashed the website, and people like signed up in droves to watch it because they all love Joe Bob Briggs so much. So, as any good business, Shutter was like, uh, "Do you want to do some more specials, and then maybe next year we'll talk about doing a weekly show?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So this new show starting up at the end of the month. All right. I feel like I'm not going to be able to appreciate anything until I watch some. Yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to. Yeah, that clip I sent you is like I said, it's half an hour. So that's just looks like the movie was Barbarella. So I mean, that's not really a horror movie, but like it's like all of his intro. It's literally just all of his stuff. They took the movie out of it because he has a male girl that comes on and they do like fan mail and uh, male girls and postal delivery person, not a member. <laughs> As, as in porn star. Yeah, it's usually a porn star. Yeah, now they're on Shutter and they don't have to edit anything, so he can swear and they don't have to edit the boobs out of the movie. It's great. 
Sounds fascinating. <laughs> you guys really thought I was going to be excited by the end of this conversation, but I'm not that excited. Maybe I you will be. watch this. You should be. Kind of a bitch. Uh, so he did for his... He ended up doing a Thanksgiving special when he did Dinners of Death. So all movies that had some weird dinner scene at some point. So, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was in there. Um, I think Thanksgiving was one of them. Makes sense. Uh, and then he did a Christmas special. And that turned out to be hilarious because he just did four of the Phantasm movies because they all look like Christmas balls. It's reasonable. So I'm excited. After my letdown of today, I'll have to wait for another week. We'll get to your letdown of today later. If we let oh, you totally. Now we're never going to discuss oh, it. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we won't actually get to our actual movies. Let's stop making me sad. <laughs> we need to make it a, a, an entertaining show, and all this talk about it's making me sad. I feel like they should remake RoboCop again and let Takashi do it. Because I think that would be a fucking a worthy remake, because he would go, oh, bloodiest movie of all time, eh? <laughs> fuck, fuck that. I think they should stop remaking RoboCop. Yes. <laughs> We're making a new one. Do you guys remember when they remade RoboCop and it really felt like the directors were trying to do a remake of RoboCop and the studio kept, kept stepping in and forcing them to make it into this, like sterile fucking generic action pick because that's what it felt uh, like when I watched that no because I refused to watch it because I'm like yeah. this is going to be bullshit it was frustrating if Michael Keaton can't save your movie you've fucked up really bad <laughs> that's where we're drawing the line we should really do a Michael Keaton month then discuss that further multiplicity mm. <laughs> Just watch Multiplicity twice every week for four weeks. I've never actually seen Multiplicity. I haven't either. My brother liked it, though. It's, it's all right. It's a funny movie. That's <laughs> how we're picking our movies. Is, I don't know. What did Brian's brother think? That's what counts. Yeah, I mean, he was like six at the time, so I don't know if that counts for quality. I remember wanting to see it and then never seeing it. And I associate that movie with Michael Keaton's downfall for however long he was not really doing anything. I don't know if he had a downfall as much as he just took a break. Yeah, I think that was a lot of it. You ever watch like, it? He's like, I got, I got Beetlejuice money. I don't need to do all this bullshit. I, I think the whole thing is, I think he kind of recognized that his movies were kind of becoming like middling movies. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't bad movies. They just weren't really, really good movies. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Well, he, didn't want, he didn't want to be Adam Sandler. Oh. Yeah, but he was actually, he addressed this issue once on an episode of Letterman because he was approached to star in like a TV show and his response was like, I would never want to be in a TV show because you have to go to work all the time. When would I fish? <laughs> and it's like, okay, there you go. I think that explains where he was in those years where people think his career was failing. I think he was just fishing. Yeah, that's my take on it. I would never say, I never thought his career was failing. It just seems like he kind of stepped back for a while and then came back with a vengeance. I think I had a thought that he was, he just wasn't doing anything because those last couple movies did horribly. 
Um, now, further on, I do think it was, yeah, he just was like, I just don't need this bullshit for a while. I just didn't do anything. And then, of course, does a movie and gets nominated for an Oscar, like, right away. But he knew when to pick his uh, pick his time, because he was on an episode of 30 Rock, and I hadn't seen him in forever. And he was fucking hilarious, the, like, the entire episode. And I'm just like, oh, come back to us, Michael Keaton, come back. I'm trying to think of a good segue to get us into the movies. I got nothing. Did Michael well, no, Keaton ever hunt a guy, or do we know? This <laughs> <laughs> is our humans hunting humans episode. I'm sure Michael Keaton hunted a guy at some point. He's rich. Well, in Batman, he asked the Joker if he wanted to get nuts, and then said, come on, let's get nuts. And nuts is the first word I would use to describe deadly prey. So why don't you tell us about deadly prey, Noah? So, Deadly Prey is about a He-Man look-alike running around the woods and Daisy Duke cut off shorts uh, (laughs) fighting a a band of mercenaries whose leader believes in training them by setting untrained random people loose in the woods for them to hunt down with machine guns? What the fuck? He doesn't believe in war games. I I don't believe it's a great training technique, but it seems to be working for them. (laughs) Right. I mean, you could do the same thing with, like, a chicken. You just set a chicken loose. Chicken's going to put up about the same amount of fight. It's it's still a shitty training technique. You don't want your trained soldiers to be, like, having ten-on-one chasing a guy. They're not going to come across that a lot in the field of battle, I don't think. Anyways, continue with your plot description. Okay. Uh, so it, it turns out that our our He-Man lookalike is actually another person trained by the same guy training these mercenaries. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. And he's really fucking good at it and basically kills the ever-living fuck out of everybody, including one of the greatest scenes of all time at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Where he cuts the dude's arm off and then beats him over the head with it? Yes! It makes watching the whole movie worth it. It's such a bad movie. And then you get to see that, and you're like, all right, no, I get it. This whole movie, I kept thinking, I feel like I've seen parts of this before. Like, did I watch it way back in the 80s and I just forgot? Or have have I seen clips from it or something? And then that scene happens, and I'm like, oh, I've watched that scene tons of times on YouTube. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, I've seen that scene a lot. (laughs) That's what it was. That's what seemed so familiar. So can we talk about costuming? Whose idea was it? for the main character to spend three quarters of the movie in those weird jean short shorts with his pockets sticking out the bottom of them. <laughs> it is super awkward that they put him in, like, it's. I think it's because they were going for the He-Man look. And I think it's just like, those jean shorts are the modern-day equivalent to running around in a loincloth. Right. Shar mm. was watching this one with me for a little wow. while. No wonder she's leaving this weekend. And she was asking what was going on, and I was like, I don't I don't know. I guess it's just, like, terrible and 80s-ish. And she goes, yeah, no, that wasn't okay in the 80s either. And I was like, no, you're right. <laughs> Do you guys know that in the Wikipedia plot description, it actually says they strip him down and grease him up and tell him to run? <laughs> it's not that long of a plot description, so if they took the time to put in that, it gre- that they greased him up, it must have been important plot-wise. <laughs> Did I mention that he he has a random buddy? 
Yeah. Random weird mercenary yeah. buddy who switches sides to help him. A guy yeah. who, who he saved his life in Vietnam once, so he owes him one. <laughs> Just coincidentally. God. They couldn't use a line of dialogue to to say that they were getting guys off of like a town where a lot of uh, vets live or something to help explain why all these people just coincidentally know each other. Because <laughs> that's super fucking weird. Yeah, what, what was his name? Like Danton or something? Mike Den. Mike Danton. So there's lots of just like... So Not a very good action Danton. hero name. No. Uh, now the one thing you left out of your plot description, which is way weirder than the uh, than the friend is the father-in-law. Oh yeah, the subplot of the, <laughs> ex, the ex-cop dad. For some reason, his father-in-law gets like obviously his wife. His wife calls her dad, who's an ex-cop, when her husband gets kidnapped. That part and, makes and sense. Then, and then dad, calls him calls him daddy the entire time, which creeped me out. A little weird, but whatever. That's not the. That's not nearly as weird as the fact that he then immediately goes to this mercenary team figures out everything that's going on and decides he's going to go on a one-man mission to take them all out. Takes out about two guys and then gets caught. Because he's like an old retired man. I'll, There's no way he could take on a bunch of mercenaries. I'll tell you what, though. Whenever he takes out their rich benefactor guy, yeah, that's... Man, that's actually some, like, good movie shit. The, the lead-up to it, him, like, laying in the road and being all weird, not, not very good, but... But he actually, like... Shoots the guy. You're like, yeah, fuck that guy. No, but, yeah, and okay, if this was if this was a, a movie, like if this was like a real movie, what would have <laughs> happened is he would have teamed up with Danton and gone in, and they could have had Danton fighting like the whoever that crazy ninja guy that was in <laughs> was. They could have had those two going at it. They could have had then the dad take on like the old man that's running everything on that side, and it would have kind of made sense. But here it was just a completely random subplot that just runs for a few minutes in the middle of the movie. The old, the old man and Danton don't even run into each other, do they? No. <laughs> and and when the old man like comes in, and he just disappears after like they're just like that's it, you're out, and he's just out of the story, and he never gets brought up again. <laughs> well, he got stabbed. Yeah. And I assume died. Yes. I would say with with all of the flaws of this movie, and it's all of it. it's got a couple. I think it's just one giant flaw, yeah. right? I think my my only real complaint at the end of the day, because it's it's so bad, it's funny, so I can tolerate pretty much all of it. But man, that rape scene is completely fucking unnecessary. Completely unnecessary, <laughs> and and so tonally off from the rest of the movie. Yeah, and so totally off for like the rest of the movie when when her because he he kidnaps Dan's wife, goes back to Dan's house, kidnaps his wife, takes her, rapes her awkwardly, which I don't know if rapes her awkwardly is an oxymoron or not. Well, I mean, he's not good at it, so we know he's a lot of practice. I guess I don't know. But then, like, they catch her dad. Are you guys (laughs) critiquing his rape skills? No, hold on. Then they capture the dad, and she's just sitting there, like, staring at the floor, and she's like, oh, he raped me. And then the dad's like, you son of a bitch, and tries to choke him. And they just stab him. And then it's never brought up again. <laughs> it's right. just over. 
<laughs> it's it's pretty that whole subplot thing is pretty bad anytime this movie tries to be a movie it's not good anytime this movie understands what it is which is he-man recreating the middle part of first blood for an hour and a half he's actually pretty entertaining when he's doing it's just that when it's just when it's just literally like dropping out of trees and shit yeah like they're lifting scenes from first blood but they're not actually taking the script they're just like did you guys watch that yeah make that happen again and then they just do that for a while it's just it's it's not someone that saw the movie it's just someone else saw the movie and described it to the person making the movie this movie is such a first blood ripoff that there's a scene early on where Dan has a guy pinned against a tree and he's got the knife up and he's threatening him and I'm like oh this is just like the scene from first blood where he threatens the cop up against the tree and tells him to leave him alone but then later Dan has uh, Hogan pinned up against the tree and he's threatening him and I'm like nope this is the scene from first blood <laughs> that other scene is a ripoff of this scene this scene is a ripoff <laughs> I see, I see they, filmed, they filmed that last scene first and they were like man this is so good we should do that again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, I I would say so. The first half of the movie is one of those, you know, it's so bad that it's entertaining. So so you get away with a lot of stuff. And then the second half of the movie is also bad and entertaining, but it's and kind of like kind of awesome <laughs> in a weird way. I mean, once once they get to the point that they're like chased him through the woods and there's like traps going off and he's like blowing shit up and yeah. And somehow, very slowly, walking up to a tank, and the tank makes the guy in there makes no attempt to defend himself. <laughs> this a lot of the action scenes involve an assumption that this guy is so much better at being a soldier than any of the other soldiers who are all being trained by the same guy that trained him that he can just like stroll towards them and they will just they, they are defenseless. By his presence. He does. In the arm scene, he does apparently dodge a shotgun three times. Sure. Which I don't I don't think that's a thing. You don't know how to dodge a shotgun? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think shotguns have a spread pattern that yeah. fits that kind of thing. Oh, this movie also suffers from the uh we've talked about it before, where when a grenade goes off, like grenades go off and kill at least 15 to 20 people in this movie but another 15 to 20 grenades go off within a foot or two of Mike Denton and it just knocks him over and he gets up and he runs a little slower after <laughs> now do, do you guys know anything about how a grenade works you no. pull the pin and then you throw it and then there's an explosion so the way I've always thought it works is as long as you're holding down the little thing Basically, the timer doesn't start, and once you let go, it's yeah. X seconds. That's my, that's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So this his his weird uh, mercenary best friend guy does this thing where he uh, pulls the pin out of a grenade, wraps it up in a hat, puts it underneath an unconscious guy's head, and then hangs the pin on his finger. Is yeah. a is a hilarious trap. So whenever the guy wakes up, he'll see the grenade pin, freak out, lift his head, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Kaboom. Now, shouldn't it he have like lifted his head and then X seconds pass and then the grenade goes boom? (laughs) I feel like that is what happened. Like he jumped up, was looking for the grenade, and then it went off. 
So, so out of everything in this movie, that's what you're calling bullshit on? <laughs> well, I'm just saying because they seem to establish the fact that you pull the pin, you let go of the thing, and like seconds yeah. pass, and then there's an explosion. And in that one scene, all of a sudden, the guy like goes, huh? Ah! Ah! Boom! <laughs> no, there's an, there's an implied time gap. You just didn't pick up on it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> for some reason, they had cut cut for time, so they took two seconds out of that scene. But once well, that, again, he cuts a guy's arm off, and then he beats him with his own wait, arm. No, no, we we have to finish talking about the scene with the guy getting blown up in the tent, because that is maybe my favorite moment in this movie, without a doubt, is we see the the leader guy, what's his name, Hogan, he's like, Danton's going to be here soon. Double the people guarding his wife. And then we see Danton walk up to the tent, and after doubling it, there's now two guards guarding the wife. <laughs> it's the funniest damn thing in this whole movie. <laughs> because they they literally, like, there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't just have her surrounded by a thousand soldiers if you wanted to. They put two guys and they put her in a tent that doesn't even have solid sides. If she could get some nail clippers, she could cut her way out of that tent. <laughs> we should also mention that at some point for, like, the... About a third of the way through the movie, he just makes it home by walking. Like, he's been going through the jungle, fighting off soldiers, and then basically is telling them, like, stop this now, or I'll have to kill all of you. But then at some yeah. point, he's just like, eh, whatever, I'm just going to walk home. <laughs> so he walks home, gets to his house, sees that his wife has been kidnapped. And he's like, oh, well, fuck this. And then he goes into his his locker that's full of yeah. guns and weapons. That's the scene ripped off from Commando instead of Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> and then he comes back to the camp again. <laughs> so, he doesn't even need a car or like a cab to get back and forth. No. Just strolls. Doesn't even <laughs> jog it. Just casual. Speaking of that scene, so uh, that, that reminds me of a character. So we have the one lady mercenary who, despite the fact that this movie goes out of its way to put in an extraordinarily inappropriate and weird rape scene. A fully clothed rape scene, by the way. Unless fully you count that dude, taking, that dude taking his shirt off. That's a bit. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, that scene's way longer than, even even sure. if they decided to put it in, they lingered on it way too long. But yeah, I just wanted to point out that we say rape scene, but I mean, this was like the most, like, She's wearing like bib overalls and like a t-shirt, and he just lays on top of her and kind of kisses her neck and then cut, cut away. And then yeah. that's, that's like all we get. Yeah, yeah, it's more gross in the tone. Big, the big than, problem like, is yeah, totally. there should not have been a rape scene in this movie. You don't. Yeah. No. No, we didn't need it. But if we're saying this movie isn't that salacious, it was just more like, oh, really? That's what they're doing. But. But I was going to yeah. say, so you've got the female mercenary character, and did you guys notice that they did the whole, like, pulling punches every time he encounters her, where, you know, he, like, gives her one, like, gentle slap, and she gets knocked unconscious so that he doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to beat the holy shit out of this woman, and it's like, yeah. you guys just put in a rape scene for no reason, like, he can punch the chick, it's okay. We get it, she's evil. <laughs> yeah. Th this movie was made in a weird time, though. And that weird time is the 80s. And in the 80s, for some reason, filmmakers believed that it was okay to just use rape as like a casual plot point. It's just like a, 
it, there were a lot of movies in the 80s that had rape in them that should not have. And like, well, I don't think he's going to be pissed off at this guy enough, so maybe we'll have him rape his wife. It, it really is just like a, it's all, it's like a really casual thing in the 80s, and it's it's not cool looking back on it now. Right? No. Ghostbusters gets real close. Yeah. Real close. Technically two rape scenes in Ghostbusters. Right. Dan Aykroyd did not say yes to that ghost. <laughs> I, I think that dumb smile is implied consent. <laughs> Technically, is that a dream? I don't know how that works. I don't think that was a dream. That movie's way better if that's not a dream. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I agree. Anyways, we don't need to go on a Ghostbusters tangent. <laughs> So anyways, it sounds like you guys had fun watching this movie. I actually did. I totally had fun. Like when the first half of this movie was just him running around the woods killing guys in ridiculous ways, uh, I was like, okay, what are they going to do next? And he just goes home, changes his outfit, and does it all again. I'm like, good enough. <laughs> okay. I, I, I can't say I, I got bored at any point during this movie. It certainly isn't a good movie. Nobody would ever make the mistake of saying that. But it, I mean, it had some enough ridiculousness to keep you laughing. I don't know if they wanted us to laugh or not. See, take out the rape scene. I'll take out everything involving the wife, and like, I don't think you need the plot with the dad or do the plot with the dad way better. And then this is just a perfectly good movie to watch. Actually, I was going to say, take out the best friend and make the dad's part larger than we're sure. Yeah, the best friend seemed really unnecessary because I don't... Like, we've established that Danton can take on this entire military himself. So having a partner there, I, I don't know what the advantage was, really. We did forget that we did not mention that at the end, his wife gets shot in the head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, so this dude, like, yeah... His, his father-in-law dies, his army friend that eventually goes full, like, I'm on your side, but they're doing a sick. He ends up dying, and then his wife gets shot, like, right in front of him, in the head. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of this movie, it's just like, okay, well, I'm assuming after the credits, then just grabbed a gun and then blew his brains out, because he's like, what the fuck do I gotta live for anymore? Well, wait, well, wait a second. Does that mean that you're not familiar with the sequel from 2013, which is written, written, directed, and starring the same guy that plays Denton in this movie? Deadlier Prey. (laughs) Deadliest Prey, Jackass. (laughs) Skip Deadlier Prey. That'd be like a prequel. There's literally a movie called Deadliest Prey where the guy that played Denton comes back and the guy that played Hogan comes back. And the guy that played Denton wrote and directed it and i would love to see that movie i think nearly three decades after his abduction by the psychotic (laughs) colonel hogan the hardened (laughs) vietnam veteran and elite soldier mike danton has to face one more has to face oh has to face once more his arch nemesis's thirst for revenge is danton still the best so what what that means is the implication is that at the end of this movie danton captures hogan forces him to strip down and is now going to hunt him. But Hogan gets away from him and comes back for revenge 27 years later. That's the implication of the ending of this movie is not what it seems. 
You know, he's got to feel real bad about that, too. And it's like, oh, fuck, he killed my wife and everybody, and I let him go instead of just killing him. Holy fuck. This also stars the guy that played Mike Denton, his real-life son, playing his son in the movie. Dude, when you're on IMDb, under stars, it says Ted Pryor. Michael Charles Pryor and David A. Pryor. Everybody has the same last name as the writer director. David A. Pryor is labeled as Man and Van. Nice. What the fuck? All right, let's look at the trivia on the. Oh, there's one piece of. I I was mistaken. I was mistaken. David A. Pryor is the writer director. He's not the guy that played Mike Denton. Mike Denton is the guy. Just stars. It must be. They must be related. So this guy like made this movie for like his son or somebody else in his family that wanted to be a writer director, and somehow getting (laughs) somehow getting Ted Pryor back was like the key to getting budgeting for this film. Oh my god! When are we watching this one again? So Ted Pryor, born in Newark, New Jersey, Ted Pryor and his two siblings were raised in a middle class neighborhood. His father was a stand-up comic, and his mother was an on-stage assistant to magician Harry Blackstone. Wait, this is Richard Pryor's son? No. Although that is kind of funny. Uh, when Ted was five, his parents divorced, and his mother soon remarried. The family later decided to settle down and relocate to Baltimore. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, I don't know what to talk about. Is that... Oh, his brother. David A. Pryor is his brother. Okay. Gotcha. So does David A. Pryor have like a long list of directing credits? Find out. Because I'm going to assume no. Oh, he does have a long list of writing credits, though. Oh, I Directing 35. I mean, that's not horrible. He's directed pretty consistently since 1983, so what the fuck do I know? Why did he have to... So, wait, so we're telling... Now we're establishing that the uh, the director David A. Pryor like made this 2013 sequel to 1987's Deadly Prey mm-hmm. as a favor to his brother to get him another job. I don't even know if it's that. I think he was just like, "Let's do a sequel." And so like, they just they're like, "Okay." I mean, he had to finish out the story of his crowning achievement. I suppose. Yeah. Deadly Prey was, oh, this dude did Killer Workout, which is on our list. Too. <laughs> yeah. So, he did, yeah, Deadly Prey was his, like, second movie. There's two other things that are listed as video. I'm really, I'm really hooked on what we start, how this conversation started, where Noah implied that the name should be Deadly or Prey. And they jumped straight to Deadliest Prey. I feel like there's a story to be told in the middle there. And if Deadliest Prey had been, uh, if Deadliest Prey had been enough of a success that they could afford that de-aging technology to make Deadly Herb Prey, we'd find out what happened in the mid-90s between these guys. <laughs> trailer, <laughs> these guys are- <laughs> trailer for Deadly Herb Prey. You know, we see the, the intro of his, his new second wife being abducted, and then we see <laughs> Michael Danton going out to his garage and John Wick-style digging up a case out of the floor. He slowly yep. opens it, and inside of that case is the severed arm he's about to beat the living <laughs> fuck out of everyone with. 
I just love that, like, apparently Denton and Hogan from this movie are the fucking, like, are, like, uh, Magneto and fucking Xavier. Like, just over the years, every now and again, they come into conflict. <laughs> Can't wait till 2040 when we finally see this this wrapped up. So, I just, this David Pryor guy, I mean, I don't know what these movies are about. <laughs> they got titles like Man Killers, Death Chase, Night Wars... Operation Warzone, Jungle Assault, White Fury, Future Force. Well, I gotta say, if, if they're all like this, I could handle watching some more of those, because, look, like we said, this isn't a good movie, but it was super fun to watch. <laughs> and we've watched a lot of, like, shitty action movies for this podcast, and they're usually if an action movie isn't good, it's really unenjoyable for me. But this oh. movie, just... he did a movie called Night Claws with Red Brown in 2012. Hell yeah, 2012. <laughs> and Frank Stallone. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> For when we get to our Frank Stallone retrospective month. Uh, Jesus, I think he was so busy being 80s he forgot that it's 2000s. <laughs> oh, also with Ted Pryor. Ted Pryor's in that one as well. I have a feeling Ted Pryor's in a lot of <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that movie is like his expendables of <laughs> <laughs> it's just shitty expendables was already uh, copyrighted so they had to come up with a different title uh, yeah I'm going to have to look up some of those dudes other movies did one called Relentless Justice surprisingly with uh no, that's not him, is it? No. Is it? <laughs> Vernon, Vernon Wells, the bad guy from Commando? What? That's awesome. Yeah, Vernon Wells, uh, Ted Pryor, Shocky. I hope Vernon uh, Wells wears that mesh shirt so that, that it looks like he's the same character coming <laughs> back. And uh, <laughs> Eric Roberts. You're telling me David A. Pryor got to work with Eric Roberts? That doesn't yeah. seem that's the part that blows my mind. Hey, a movie with a surprisingly good cast uh, bleeds pretty well into the next movie. <laughs> Don't change the subject. Brian's having fun. <laughs> I'm just pointing it out. Well, Doug, I guess why don't you tell us about surviving the game, which I was going to say I really enjoyed. But now in reflection, after going through David A. Pryor's uh, filmography, it's probably a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Surviving the game is about uh, Ice T plays a homeless dude who is recruited by Charles S. Dutton to go to a cottage with Rutger Hauer and Gary Busey. Never a good idea. They're accompanied by uh, John C. McGinley who seems like he could be fun to hang out with, but not this time. And yeah, it turns out that they brought Ice-T up there to hunt him. And they do, but in a shocking turn of events, he turns the tides on them and he's able to take them out in various, variously entertaining ways, some better than others. That's, I mean, Plot-wise, that's the whole thing. It's important to note for people who maybe haven't seen the movie or don't remember it well from the 90s that 
it takes a solid like what 40 minutes to get up to the cottage yeah a lot of time getting to know ice t he's got like a, he's homeless but he lives with a you know like a bus with another homeless dude and we get to know him and the relationship between him and that other homeless dude and then that homeless dude passes away and uh it is shocking how sort of slow moving this movie is and that's not a criticism it's just uh Mm -hmm. i i anticipated based on my memory of this film that i hadn't seen in 20 years that you know he'd be we'd get five minutes of him searching for food I remembered that they gave him very obviously needed information in the opening scenes, which he would use at the end. And uh, they would immediately jump to the cottage. I expected like 90% of this movie to take place in the woods. Unnecessary dog death scene. Oh, yeah. Bloody, bloody dog death scene, too. When that cab hits that, blo- when they show that cab and the dog's dead in front of it, there's just blood fucking all over that cab. I'm like, what? Did, why did the dog explode when it got hit? <laughs> I almost sent a message to you guys. I was just like, fuck this movie. They killed the dog in the first, like, two minutes. Bullshit. It was such a weird scene, too, because, like, the cab... Like, the dog runs out into the middle of the road. The woman who's in the cab immediately refuses to pay her fare because the guy hit a dog, which is, like, it wasn't his fault. And then the guy... The owner of the dog shows up, and the cab driver's punching him within moments. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't seem appropriate. Guy just lost his dog. You don't need to punch him now. Yeah, loses his dog, and then he, his best friend just dies on him overnight. Did not have a good time. His best friend was super old. Yeah. Yeah, so I had never seen this first time watch for me. Uh, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, I wasn't expecting not to enjoy it, but I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. It's actually better than I remember it being. Yeah. I think that's going to be a lot of people's reactions if they watch this movie because it it's a real movie. It's not just a, like a deadly prey type endeavor. It's actually there's actually acting in it. There's actually a lot of dialogue and some of it is pretty good. Like, you get a couple of different speeches, especially one from Ice T and one from Gary Busey, where they like describe things from their past that and how they be, they got to the point they are in their lives. And you're like, oh, that, that shit's pretty fucked up. I can I can understand why you're not doing so well. Like, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, I would I would say this movie suffers from two things, and they both happen to be people. Okay. Uh. So Ice T not not a super strong actor. He's not terrible in this, and I really like that his monologue that he does in the cave. But besides that, I don't. It's just so boring. The way Ice T talks is so fucking boring. Can I push back just a little bit on that though? Sure. Uh, I don't know that it's Ice T's fault. He's doing a very stereotypical '90s action movie character, and I don't think that the 90s was a great time for action movie heroes um they were sort of doing like because if you get into the 2000s like a lot of times the leader of an action movie is an actual actor who knows how to act and can do things and has a character if you go back to the 80s an action movie the, the star was often like basically a cartoon character 
your Schwarzeneggers and whatnot. In the 90s, during that transition between those two things, they had these semi-ridiculous characters like Ice-T plays in this movie, where it's like, they're just doing that like constant, like every line of dialogue is a tough guy thing, where it's like somebody offers him a pack of smokes. No, I only wanted one smoke. Don't give me a whole pack. Like, what the fuck are you doing? How are you supposed to deliver that dialogue well? <laughs> but well, that's just what it was in the time frame. But I would say, once again, I think you put another actor in there that's better, and I think they do deliver those lines better. I don't... I, I, I don't know that that's fair. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, Ice-T's been on Law & Order for a long time, and he basically says the same five lines in every episode. And I feel like he's still honing that down. <laughs> he's not. I'm just saying, Oscar bait, Ice-T is not. Well, no, this is not an Oscar movie, just so we're clear. The reason that most of the characters in this movie are enjoyable is because they hired people to do exactly what they know how to do. Right. Like, there's... I'm, I'm not going to use any character names in my discussion of this film. Because Rutger, <laughs> Rutger Hauer plays Rutger Hauer. Charles S. Dutton plays Charles S. Dutton. Gary Busey case, plays Gary Busey. Even F. Murray Abraham, who I would not know who that was until I double-checked his IMDb, I'm like, oh yeah, he has played the same character in a bunch of other shit. Want to hear something <laughs> weird? Out of all the people that get recognized, Char's sitting there watching that with me today, and she goes, oh, that's F. Murray Abraham, and I was like, what in the fuck? <laughs> literally the one person in this movie that I have no fucking idea what his name is. How do you know who the fuck he is? She's obviously seen him play this same character in many other things. But, you know, like, with that having been said, it's like, good, they got a good cast together to to do what they need to do in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Ice-T is probably the weakest actor in this, but his acting did not bother me whatsoever. Well, I would say he might have running contention because the dude who plays the son mm. is real fucking bad. And I don't and I don't know if that's entirely his fault or if they wrote this part for a fucking 12-year-old and when they didn't cast a 12-year-old, the director was like, no, still play it like you're 12. Because he is a weird, whiny, like a couple times in the... He like, he like gets upset, dude! Screaming like this! Oh my god! <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and then Rugger Howard punches him, which is pretty <laughs> reestablishes us in a good movie. <laughs> whenever, whenever something's not going right, you can just count on Rugger Howard to deliver a small amount of violence to get the movie back on track. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's be fair, Ernest Dickerson directed this, and I think he's actually a pretty good director. So I don't know. Right, and it looks like this was, I was thinking this was post-accident Busey, but I'm pretty sure this oh, is pre-accident. This is very much pre-accident Busey. Yeah. This is actually pretty pretty amazing as far as his uh, performance in it. Like, he's yeah. a complete douchebag that you're just like, he deserves to die. And weirdly enough, he's the first one to die out of the group. I, I was getting ready to say, which is really disappointing. You almost yeah. wish somebody else would have went first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real tough though, because I mean, I don't, I don't. You, you either need to get rid of him or get rid of Rutger Hauer. That's too much to have on screen at once. Mm-hmm. That might be a good it's, point. Your, your TV isn't designed to have both those guys <laughs> at one time. It'll start to break down. <laughs> How about Charles S. Dunn? We can just get rid of him. 
the UPUC oh. for the rest of the movie. But you do you do not want to question how they handle that character because when he finally because he's probably the biggest piece of shit in this movie. Oh my god! He, he actually he recruits him. Yeah, he, yeah, he recruits him, which makes sense because you know he, he's great at giving motivational speech speeches. He went straight from recruiting Rudy to recruiting homeless people to be hunted, <laughs> and it's like. Okay, great, but he's the guy that actually goes and like works at a homeless shelter just so he can meet various homeless people to try and yeah. find out the best one. And well, that makes him worse than everybody else, I think. And they imply the fact that he kind of came from nothing, so he even understands what it's like to be these other guys, and he's like, no, fuck it, I made it. I'll kill people. Yeah. And then, so when he gets his death, which involves um, an ATV blowing up and you see him laying there, and his legs are all blown off, and it looks surprisingly good for mm. to, for the time frame. Yeah, it gets and, blown up while he's sitting on it, which is so fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's real dumb if you stop and think a little too hard. Like uh, Ice T, like takes like the one of the wires off the battery and jams it into the gas tank, so when the guy tries to start it, it'll blow up. Mm. But I don't know how you jump on a bike and not notice that that was done to it. <laughs> but whatever. Well, he distracts him by, like, stealing one of the ATVs, and, like, he makes sure... He makes it so they're not really looking at shit. He's just like, oh, I gotta jump on this ATV and go after him. And then, boom. Yeah. So, anyways, the death scene is awesome, though. Like, yeah. When he's laying on the ground with his legs all blown up, and then Rudger Harp comes over to him and is like, "Well, I'm just gonna have to kill you now because look at your fucking legs." And he's like, "Ah, uh, guess you're right." <laughs> yeah. And because it's Rudger Hauer, he doesn't just shoot him or something. He kills him with his hands. <laughs> gonna choke you to death while you're laying here in pain because that's more fun. Well, and I don't think I don't think he was actually choking him to death. I think he pushed on the uh, the arteries in his neck with his fingers like a sleeper hold to get him to pass out so he would go to sleep and bleed to death in his sleep. That's kind of what choking someone to death is. <laughs> well, choking, choking implies Sorry. like windpipe. He didn't choke him into unconsciousness. He just choked. He didn't choke him to death. He just choked him into unconsciousness <laughs> and then let him bleed out, I guess. I stand corrected, sir. You win. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm done. I don't know. Just saying. Like, it's not like he just brutally murdered his friend. He seemed legitimately upset about that one. Nothing else in the movie, but that one thing. He's well, I, that. I, I, I definitely think, like, the core group, I think uh, Gary Busey, Charles S. Dutton, and Rutger Hauer, I feel like those guys were genuinely friends. I feel like the John C. McGinley character is kind of an add on, some guy that almost like, you know, like anytime you go you play poker with a group of guys. There's always that one guy that for some reason keeps getting invited, but nobody really likes him, but we invited him last time. So now we got to keep inviting him. I don't know. I kind of liked his, uh, his weird murder horny character. Oh yeah. I I like the character, which, which, you know what the fucked up thing is? I was sitting there watching it and I was like, Oh my God, do you know what this character is? It's the Liam Neeson story. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the Liam Neeson story embodied in a character. In he totally fucking is. Oh my god. This was around the time that Liam Neeson was doing that for real too, right? So. <laughs> Holy shit. 
So fill the listeners in who maybe have, haven't gone back and re-listened to John C. McKinley's dialogue from the film. <laughs> so was it, his daughter was just killed? Yeah, his his wife and his daughter got murdered by like a transient. And so he's basically joined this murder group just because he wants to just murder homeless poor people <laughs> to get back at the one transient. Like he doesn't even imply that he's hoping to one day find the guy that actually did it. He's just willing to kill whoever. <laughs> oh my god. That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe you guys didn't make that connection. I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> well, that, whole, that whole time when uh, McGinley and Ice-T are trapped in the fucking cave, um, I, I was just kind of blown away by how good the movie was at that point. I'm like, holy shit, there's like dialogue and tension. And there's these weird little things, which I'm sure the director or writer like really thought about where like they're talking to each other and they're talking shit and they're talking shit and they're talking shit but then like Ice-T gives them some water and you're like oh I see like we're these guys are establishing a rapport and Ice-T ends up leaving him alive which is shocking I think but it's like they really actually put character into this movie which I was not anticipating in my humans hunting yeah, we should jump back real quick. And the first night they get there, like they all sit down and have a nice dinner. Ice T's been hired to be like a uh, what do they call him, like a wilderness specialist or some nonsense. Would you say he's like, I can't do that? And he's like, Figure it out. This is a good paycheck. Before we found out that Charles S. Dutton was evil. Yeah. And uh, so he just kind of goes along with it. So they're all sitting and having dinner, and like you know, just chatting. I mean the chats are all super awkward and stuff but you know and McKinley's just like giving him a death stare like the whole time and he's like what's your problem and so when I ask him about like him he's like oh I killed my wife and daughter and McKinley like freaks out and so you're like what the fuck is up with that dude you find out yeah he had just had a death and then they all go to bed and Ice-T is woken up with them in his room like telling him to get his shit to start running and so then yeah by the time we get and yeah, fucking McGinley's been like doing like uh, fucking uh, I don't know, like death growls the entire time, just like chasing them on ATV, just like oh yeah. So yeah, we get to this point where he's capturing them and they're hiding out in a cave for overnight. They finally get to talk to each other. McGinley like finally starts to see like, oh, this dude's not. Like that's not what I what I'm looking for. Like what happened to him was something horrible. And then yeah, I see. Even though tells him he hates him and fuck you and all this shit, yeah, gives him water and then leaves him. Like he doesn't end up killing him, which changes his mind in the morning. Yeah, I think I think uh, McGinley suffers a little bit in this movie. Not not because he isn't a great actor, because he he is really good. And I think once we get to the uh, the cave scene where he's kind of like breaking down and upset, mm. that it really all comes out. But I think the problem is is those beginning moments where we've got him as his weird little pissy rage monster <laughs> is what he comes off as. 
But I think the reason why he comes off as a pissy rage monster is once again, he's got fucking Rugger Hauer and Gary Busey and all these people chewing up scenery behind him, make, making him look like a bitch, essentially. I mean, that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's not unfair. Yeah, he's very much the quiet one, letting them have their, their due and then finally gets his, his chance like later on. Yeah. So what do we think of the ending? Because uh, uh, it's a 1993 movie, but uh, Ice-T sort of goes through everybody except for Rutger Hauer, but then catches up to him later. So what do we think of the ending? Should should he have just, should we, the movie have just kept it where he's like killing everybody in the wilderness or? Um, well, I mean, it was really choreographed. So they give, he gets the piece of advice about how to make a gun backfire early on and then he forces the guy's gun to backfire later and it's like I don't like it it felt out of place. Well it's very much nineties. It's very, very nineties. The funny thing is is you could have just randomly cut it off there at the end. Uh so when he's walking down the the alley and you hear kind of Ice T's voice kind of echo, you know, in that weird intimidating way where he says his name, you know and it's that whole, oh, I'm going to get you, motherfucker. And, of course, Rigger Hauer's character starts, like, running and he's all freaked out. You could just end the movie right there. And that's actually a pretty good ending where it's like, oh, shit, now he's being hunted. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and then you could wait 27 years and make a sequel where it turns <laughs> out that both characters actually lived and they have to come back. Surviving the deadliest game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, like I don't. For me, I questioned the logic of having uh, of having them go back to the city. I'm not sure what the point of that was, and it also raises like questions because they're like they point out they're like because where like most of the movie takes place in Alaska. Is that right? I'm not sure where they're supposed to be, Montana or something. Uh, I think the actual city is supposed to be Seattle. That's the city, and they say yeah. they go north. So I just assumed Alaska because nobody's gonna. Like nobody's gonna pull this shit in Canada, so you go north of Seattle, you kind of got to go all the way across Canada into Alaska. But then it's three days later, and they're back in Seattle. And Ice T has been walking the whole time, like Rudger Howard. Well, like, no, the, he's got the dirt bike. He dirt biked it. Yeah, though he dirt biked it. Did he? Yeah, because Rudger Howard sees the dirt bike next to the dumpster. Oh, okay. Which is why he runs and gets his gun now. Fair enough. I just assumed he ran and got his gun because it said to in the script. I didn't. I don't think I remembered seeing the dirt bike. See, I almost think they also could have just ended it as Rudger Hauer was flying away in his little plane. If I see it, just like picked up a gun and shot him down. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was in in Deadly Prey. We forgot to mention the amazing scene where like Dan's just standing there. He's like, "What do I do? What do I do? What do I do?" And his buddy just walks up and just hands him a rocket launcher that we have had no reference to previous in the movie and he shoots it once, blows up a bunch of shit, puts it down and walks away from it and never uses okay. it again. So they could have reused that plot point. They could have just said, they could have just had him like, pull one out. Yeah. yeah, but I think overall uh, definitely a uh, um, recommend from all of us. Yeah, and the movie does a really good job of being like kind of an intense thriller but then having really fun action moments like the we have talked about when they're crawling across the tree 
and then Ice-T just starts throwing rocks at the guys. He tr- kind of tricks him into being out on this like tree over a <laughs> gully, and he's just throwing rocks at them, trying to knock them off, which is super fun. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, whenever he kills the sun, though, you're kind of like, that's kind of fucked up, Ice-T. The sun actually didn't do anything. <laughs> he's kind of opposed yeah. to all this. He was actually like uh, on your side. Like, he's just like, what the fuck is his dad? I don't want to do this. Yeah, but you're, you're on that team. <laughs> it's not. It might not be the son's fault. You could blame the dad for the fact that the son got killed, but I don't think Ice T could pick and choose which of those guys he kills. I think he's just got to take out as many as he can. Plus, I don't know that he would have known that the son was against it, right? Would he have heard anything where the no. son said he was against it? So he has to assume that all of the people hunting him are on the same page. Yeah. I would also say that despite the fact that clearly this movie is not a horror movie, it does have a couple cool, like little almost horror elements to it. Him finding the room with like all the heads in the jars. Yeah. It's a pretty cool moment. And we already talked about it, but Gary Busey's speech about his dad forcing him to fight the dog. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's straight out of like uh, some kind of a thriller slasher movie where the, you know, the crazy dudes, leading into why he's going to hack people up later on in the movie. It's also probably a true story from Gary Busey's life. 50% chance. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 are, we, are we done? Yeah, keep going. If you guys don't go for it. No, I was just going to say, like, I'm, I'm really surprised at how good a movie this was, and not just like fun to watch, but an actually genuinely good movie. Mm-hmm. I think there are some flaws. Um, I think Ice T's character is back and forth. Like, there's definitely like he goes from like I don't care if I live or die. I don't care about anything except my dog. And now my dog's dead. And then Charles Stone's like, "You want a job?" And he's like, "I would do anything for twenty dollars." Like immediately. And it's like, uh, I don't. Doesn't seem like the same guy would say those things. But whatever. That's all part of the setup just to get us up there anyway. So. Yeah, and once again, Ice Ice T's not very good at portraying it, but I like the fact that his character isn't some kind of badass. You know what I mean? Like like in Deadly Prey, where oh, he's a marine, you know, that's yeah. been trained to kill. In this case, he like he doesn't really know how fucking guns work. He doesn't know shit about survival. It's pretty much just him being wily. Yeah, I had some questions when they dropped the line that uh, Gary Busey was a CIA agent at some point in his life, and then Ice-T and him fight it out, and he takes him out, and I'm thinking, untrained guy versus CIA agent. I don't know a lot about CIA training techniques, but they probably get hand-to-hand somewhere along the way. Uh, you would think he'd, uh, he'd be able to take him out. But... Well, he is a psychiatrist in the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he's... He's all like, oh, no, we're going hand-to-hand. And, like, gets rid of his knife and shit. Yeah. So, I mean, it all comes down to Ice-T just throwing him in the window and, like, let him burn to death. And that's some weird fetish shit that we figure out. So he tells the story about breaking the dog's neck, and then, like, you can tell that's all he wants to do. He just wants to, like, break human beings' neck. And he's like, it's the only way I can get an erection now. <laughs> he doesn't quite say that. You're just... You're, it's uh, it's heavily implied. He definitely wants to kill him with his bare hands. There's no doubt about that. And it clearly is meant to stem back to the story from the dog. He also thinks you should uh, 
look an animal in the eyes as you eat them because you don't just devour their body, you devour their soul. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if in that scene they're trying to imply that they also ate all those people they killed. Yeah, they never come right out and say that, but that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Uh, it's not far-fetched, because they kept the heads the same way they did with the pig head. Mm-hmm. When, they tore, when they killed the pig and ate it, they kept the head on a plate the whole time. So you could see them doing that with the human heads as well. Yeah, yeah, and Charles S. Dutton was you know, explaining to people how he knew that the pig would be good after he cooked it, and was just explaining and talking about iced tea the whole time. Yeah. Right, and Rugger Sauer's character makes the whole speech about, like, you know, enjoying the food, you know, smelling it and touching mm-hmm. it and playing with it. But at the same time, that's him basically saying, ha, 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 we're fucking with you right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. What fuck that movie? Yeah, it's pretty... I, in retrospect, I wish they'd played up the cannibal angle a little more. Mm-hmm. You could definitely choose to interpret it in there, but I don't think a mainstream audience is going to pick up on that so I think they should have probably implied heavier that that's what was happening like just it could, could have just been like a matter of like when he goes to that cooler to get out the uh, to get out the beer that there could have been something else going on in there like a little like hey what's that stuff kind of some some, some people feats meets thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, uh, no feedback. You damn dirty apes not sending in emails. Um, but did anybody watch anything since last week? No. Uh, I watched uh, Planet of the Apes. And, uh, Tim Burton movie? Oh, don't no, fuck you. <laughs> don't joke about those kinds of things. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Making one of the best goddamn science fiction movies ever made, piece of shit. Interesting thing. I don't know if I've ever actually seen the original one all the way through. Oh man, so I good. I've definitely seen parts of it, and of course, through pop culture, I've definitely seen like the end of the movie. Well, I think the funniest thing is a lot of people who have only seen seen them on TV and stuff. A lot of the times, they get one and two confused because they like blend together a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, but I bought like the legacy set. I just haven't had a chance to watch them yet. Oh, it's so good. The first, especially the first two, are really, really, really good. In which I actually watched all of them <laughs> this week. I don't know why. I just, you know why. Well, I, I, I watched one. Might as well watch all of them. Yeah, that's good logic. I mean, don't you guys do that? You should. <laughs> That's why I don't watch Friday the 13th very often, because then i got to watch the whole damn series. Do you include Freddy vs. Jason in there? Usually. Although the problem is, if I include it, then I'm stuck going down another rabbit hole. <laughs> now i got to watch both entire series. 
And that's that's just not that's not good for me. Uh, yeah, but so Planet of the Apes, they're all awesome. I, I like all of them. The the later movies get a little weird. A little weird. There's talking monkeys in the first one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, so the first two. So first one, guys on a planet. Uh, there's talking apes and humans are dumb and the apes rule. Blah 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 blah. Find out at the end it's Earth. Surprise, surprise. Second movie crazy humans living underground that are telepathic and worship an atomic bomb. Getting a little weirder. Third movie, monkeys travel back in time to current day. It's my favorite one. Yeah, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Super dope movie. Little weirder, right? Because now we have... Now we have time travel paradox. (laughs) Yeah, time travel paradox. Then we've got the next movie, which now we're following the son of the monkeys, in which it I think it actually gets a little less weird in that movie because that story's pretty straightforward. And, yeah. then, and then the last movie in which I don't there's this weird like thing where you can't tell if it's actually resolved or not because it seems like they actually fixed it. They fixed the timeline so that humans and apes will <laughs> have peace but I don't know it's really odd um, don't you have to watch the three new ones now no not really you don't include those no not in the original because they're, they're completely different I like the new ones a lot Okay, with the, ex- with the exception of the Tim Burton one no, no we're not yeah. talking about that one it's no. bad it's really no. bad that was just said just to piss you off because I right. know <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> Uh, I still haven't watched the third one yet, but I really enjoyed the first two. So, I still get yeah. around to watching it. Yeah, and then I was debating because I've got the TV series too. And I almost sat down and watched the TV series, but I managed to restrain myself. Uh, and then besides that, I finally got out to see uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. I also so, see Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, do we want to wait till the end of the episode and do maybe a spoilery? Yeah, let's do that. Sure. Um, not as as excited about it as I usually am most Marvel movies, but don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't gone see it. Pre okay. pre spoiler, I'll say people need to chill the fuck out. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a given. Um, that having been said, I'll just say I if people don't listen to the spoiler segment, like, well, I'm I think I'm more positive on it than Brian was last week, mm-hmm. which is very unusual for me to be positive about something. So. Uh, and then besides that, I think that's that's all I did. Watch watch me a bunch of apes. That'll, that'll take up some time. That's a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, they're talking and walking around like people. That's weird. You well, I had a, that in your plot description. I had a, I had a sick day. I was homesick one day, so I like put in a movie, and I was like, "Well, I have this whole day." <laughs> You're a fucking maniac. <laughs> I could be sleeping and resting and healing up, but getting better so I can go back to work tomorrow. But that's nah, what nah. I was doing. I was on the couch, curled up in a blanket, with the heater pointed directly at me, and uh, watching watching apes <laughs> on a planet. There's a planet with apes on. Turns out it's our planet. 
Nice. Damn them all to hell. <laughs> what did you watch, Doug? Uh, I did not watch any long series of films. Um, <laughs> but I got a few individuals. I finally caught up with uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, yeah. I know both of you guys like because you kept telling me to watch it over and over again. Um, and it was St. Paddy's Day weekend. I was looking for something Irish, and I ended up watching. So, so help me that. God if you tell me you don't like this movie, Doug. No, you know what? Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, so, for people who haven't seen it, it's basically like a faux documentary about a bunch of vampires living together, and it's like a whole bunch of uh, different styles of vampires, all the different ones you've seen from different movies over the years. It's actually kind of a ripoff of an episode of Angel, where there was like a flashback sequence to where the Nazis were capturing vampires, and they were all the stereotypical different vampires from the different eras. And that's basically what this is, except they all live in a house together, and they have all your typical roommate problems. Uh, my personal favorite being when the guy <laughs> bleeds all over the other guy's couch. It's like, you mean the red couch? Yeah, it's red now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically a one note joke. It's that, but it's only like an hour and 25 minutes long. So the joke doesn't have time to be told. And it was pretty funny. I enjoyed it. He, he doesn't get the faces right anymore. Correct. Uh, there was talk of them giving the werewolves a spinoff. Oh yeah, I did. I liked the like, the like the weird rivalry with the werewolves that they would just like they walk by and they just trash check each other like the Montagues and the Capulets of the month. <laughs> the the TV show actually comes out at the end of the month. Yeah, I, I just I just saw a review scrolling through Facebook. It says it's not good. Well, I don't know. Most of the time, when they take a movie series and they make a TV show out of it, that ends up being just great, and we probably don't need to talk about that anymore. This whole discussion. So, yeah. I guess for Brian's list of movies, I, whoever came up with the idea for the TV show, they needed to just stop and fucking think for two seconds about the fact that so what we do in the shadows is fucking hilarious, and it's fucking hilarious because it is a great cast of really, really fucking funny people doing something absurd. And they were like, okay, let's replace all of those super, super fucking funny people with like second rate BBC show actors. Yeah. I think too, it is like I say, it's a one note joke. Uh, if it goes on week, like you can tune in weekly to see the same joke. I mean, a lot of sitcoms, I guess, fall into that. And I guess a lot of sitcoms end up doing it for, you know, a decade. <laughs> but that's why I don't watch them is because it's the same joke over and over again. What's the deal with vampires? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just kind of made my point. It's, yeah, I don't understand how this works as a series. As a one-off, it was enjoyable. You know, I don't even know that I'll ever rewatch it. Even as, maybe if somebody said, oh, I'm thinking about, like, if I wanted to show it to somebody else to get their reaction, I'd watch it again. But Man, see, I've watched it like five times. Yeah, but I mean, nobody has the time you have to watch movies. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know what kind of time-compressing uh, superpowers that you have. Well, then, sometimes you have spare time, 
And you just have to spend that binge watching movies like a crazy person. Just like even if, when I, for the record, like when I take a sick day from work, I also lay on the couch and watch movies. I'll get two, maybe three movies in. I don't know how you get the entire throne of Planet of the Apes. You, you wake up at six o'clock in the morning and you put in a movie and you go to bed at 10 o'clock. You're good. <laughs> so anyways yeah what we do in the shadows is it's a big recommend for me if if you're interested in the concept i think it'll work for you um it, like i say if you're not interested in the concept it's not going to do anything mind-blowing but i suspect most of the listeners to this podcast are interested in the uh in the concept just remember, Doug, what are we? I don't know. Werewolves, not swearwolves. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I did really like that line. I like the whole thing with the werewolves when they walk by and they like they can't help but trash talk each other like a bunch of fucking high school kids. <laughs> that's why that's why I thought that sequel was such a good idea, because so yeah, the the vampire jokes is you know what I mean. I they're pretty played by the end of the movie, but you make another movie, and it's nothing but werewolf jokes. It'd be pretty oh, fucking funny. Yeah. I mean, werewolves would be a little harder to do, because you'd have to come up with some concept where they changed on different nights, just to have, like, the one guy, like, wake up, like, dawn on something in the living room, and everybody else is like, come on, man, you knew it was your night to change, or whatever. So, I have to rewrite the lore a little bit, I think. But I think the same thing. You just get werewolves from... All the different variety of werewolves. Some turn on the moon, some don't. Oh, that'd be great if you could have like the quadrupeds don't get along with the bipedal ones. <laughs> the vampire, he forced me to drink his foul blood, and then he turned into a bat creature and said, now you are a vampire! And that was Steve, and we're still friends today. <laughs> <laughs> Like that. I do like the one guy that sleeps like in the closet and every time they want to talk to him they're like trying to poke their head in. <laughs> having we're having a bit of a roommate meeting and uh yeah, it, it's okay. You don't have to come. It's fine. <laughs> and what's uh what's the name of the human they just start hanging out with all the time? Oh I don't remember. But basically they're slave and they're like I like the the running gag of like he's promised the one girl that if she basically as his servant that he'll turn her into a vampire and every time she brings it up he has to change the subject <laughs> like a boss who doesn't want to give you a raise is it Stu or Nick I don't remember which one Nick yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and then his friend is over all the time and they just, they just think he's better yeah did you just tell that person you're a vampire yeah Twilight. I'm the guy from Twilight. That's me. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Alright, so... What that's 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 I, I'm going to recommend it. Sounds like you guys are re-recommending it. <laughs> um, my second attempt at watching an Irish movie was slightly more successful. So I finally got around to Leprechaun Returns. Oh, yeah the new one, the direct sequel to the original which finally answers the question once and for all uh, the long standing debate about whether it's the same leprechaun in every movie or whether it's a different leprechaun in every movie 
it turns out different leprechaun in every movie because mm -hmm. that first one's still trapped in the well from the end of the first movie. Yep. Which I think is nice that they finally addressed that. <laughs> um, and also completely ignore the remake. Yeah, no, that wasn't a Leprechaun movie, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Leprechaun Returns. I think we've talked about it on the show before when you watched it, Brian. But uh, mm -hmm. basically, yeah, some girls are bought the old house from the Leprechaun thing. They're going to turn it into a sorority house. Which it is makes total sense to have a sorority house like super far outside of the city. Yeah, well, I mean, I will say this: like, it, they they made everything make sense. Like, okay, it's she wants to do this thing where it's this like eco-friendly sorority that's off the grid and everything, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that you'd have to have it far away from campus in order to be out in the country and stuff. You can't hard to be off the grid in the middle of town, right? Yeah. So they did a decent enough job of getting the setup working. And they bring back Ozzy, who uh, is the only remaining guy from the original. And he now is like, in addition to being a house painter, also runs the only cab company in town, which is kind of a fun joke at the beginning. But, um, I, I actually got to say, I really liked this movie. Uh, as a huge fan of the originals, this movie recaptures the atmosphere of like the first three leprechaun movies pretty well uh it's not perfect there's like some modern meta jokes that fall in there that are kind of necessary in today's horror comedies and there's a couple of the the, the tone's not exactly right but it's pretty close it's closer than i ever expected it to be the uh the fact that they still deliver all these lines of dialogue, like these ridiculous lines of dialogue, and they deliver them all so seriously in that like old school, like original child's play kind of way, where they just take everything so seriously and it's you have to as the viewer, it's your responsibility to understand that this whole thing is ridiculous. Um I liked all that. Uh, I liked so there's I guess spoiler, Ozzy is killed relatively early on. And he comes back almost like a Pascal type character where he's just like this ghost who's giving them advice. And I like that element of it because it's funny to listen to a dumb guy give people advice, which is probably not a nice way to say it, but it's, I liked it. And I like, I even liked at the end when he can walk through walls and he doesn't, he's too dumb to realize that other people can't follow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. The new guy that plays the Leprechaun, I was really worried that that was going to be what ruined it for me, but I think he does a good job. Uh, he does a good job capturing that specific character. Yeah. It is a bummer not to have Warwick Davis back, but this guy it, at least seemed to understand what the role was and to take it seriously. Yeah, like he he plays the leprechaun as best as anyone could. Um, I, I don't have any complaints about him whatsoever, except for he's not Warwick Davis, which is not technically his fault. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't blame him for not being Warwick Davis as much as I'd like to, but yeah, he's good. I think most of the cast is decent. The kills are good. Um, I thought they did, uh, they did a good job with like, the gore being just that right kind of gore where it's fun. 
it's fun to watch it happen, but it's not cartoonish, um, which is kind of important to, when you're trying to recreate the atmosphere of the original films. So, I, I was super happy with this movie. You know, as a again, as a fan of the originals, I thought this one was like a nice entry in the series, which is better than I could possibly have expected. Yeah, I mean, if if your favorite Leprechaun movies are the Back to the Hood, then you're probably not going to love this one because it is a return to form for the series. But so be it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else there is to say really. It's uh, well, they did I, a good job. They actually hired some. Specifically hired somebody to to uh, impersonate Jennifer Aniston's voice. Yeah, I. So, so I, that when they was it she calls like an old answering machine or listens to an old message or something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually went to IMDb and checked. I'm like, they didn't get Jennifer Aniston. They like they did a really good job of hiring an actress that could do that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, cause one of the plot points is one of the characters is her daughter was signed up for this sorority because it's in her mom's old house. Yeah. And that I kind of that plot point would bother me, but I didn't have a big problem with it. I, I thought they handled it really well. Like they they say like okay Jennifer Anderson's character. And uh, did her mom ever bother to tell her, hey, there's yes. a dead leprechaun at the bottom of that well. Yes. Yes. They yeah. handled that whole situation. And it's, it's like, without getting into every little detail, because it's still a pretty new movie, they explain it all, and they kind of explain why the daughter wanted to come back to that house. Um, and then she has a lot of the knowledge necessary, because she knew what she was getting herself into to some extent, right? Yeah. So, I yeah, I thought that all worked pretty well. There's a, a bit of a plot twist involving where all the gold is, which I thought was pretty good too. I thought that was a fun little moment. Um, yeah, I, overall, I, I would I would definitely recommend it if you're a fan of the rec- of the Leprechaun series. I'll, pr- I'll probably watch it again. It's probably probably need to get myself a hard copy of this movie so I can put it on the shelf beside my other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought it digitally when it came out, so I at least have all of them digitally, but having a hard copy to put on the shelf next to the, I guess, what is now not the complete collection would be good, too. Yeah, I don't even have the complete collection because I won't buy it because it has <laughs> film that shall may not be named in it. So. I'm glad you liked it. I was kind of worried. I'm like, I don't know. I was, I new, I was worried, too. Like, it was like, <laughs> it was like St. Patty's Day, and I'm like, I should watch it, and I I tried to find a copy of that other Leprechaun movie that you recommended to the Facebook group. Oh, the Red Clover, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that one. I couldn't get a copy of it, so I'm like, oh, Jesus. Like, I guess that only leaves this other, like, there's only two Leprechaun movies I haven't seen. And, uh, all right, I'll take the shot. <laughs> you made the better choice. Yeah. So, I was, I, like I say, I, it was a huge relief for me. I went into this movie... Part of me was thinking, well, maybe it'll be funny on the podcast when I rant and rave about how bad it is. And I'm, I'm glad to be doing the opposite. Now we just need to, need to get Noah to watch it and see if it's Midnight Drive unapproved. Well, we'll have to find a day when Noah can watch all those movies because he's. <laughs> well, technically, you only got to watch the first one and then this one. 
Yeah, I don't know though, because you wanna you have to you learn about the iron being a weapon against leprechauns in part two, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it part three? I think it's two. Yeah, I don't know. One of them. Two. It's in yeah. LA. It's not in Venice. So we uh you need that knowledge in this movie. Which yeah, I thought get on it. Yeah. No, you're gonna have to call in sick again because you got <laughs> the back of leprechaun movies to watch. You got like eight leprechaun movies to get through now. Ugh, so many leprechauns. <laughs> At least now, like you know, you don't you won't be stressed about the whole is it or is it not the same leprechaun in each movie thing. That's true. That's because that's that has been bugging me for years, and I felt so happy watching this because there's no line of dialogue in this movie that implies that the Ed sequels didn't happen. So I have to step away for like two seconds here. All right. Well, actually, the next movie I watched is uh, not something Noah was going to have much interest in anyway. Uh, 2006's Alpha Dog. Have you seen this one or heard? Do you know I, what it is? I know what it is, but I, yeah, I haven't seen it. It's. Yeah, so basically it's a true crime story about uh, some like jackass-spoiled rich kid turned drug dealer who kind of, without thinking shit through, kidnaps a kid and like a, it's like a, kidnaps like a 15-year-old kid who is the brother of somebody that owes him money. And, uh, and basically they start partying it up and they've got this kid with them and then after a little while they're like, shit, what are we going to do now? Um, I think this movie is actually really good. It's got a lot of strong performances in it. For some reason, they were able to get together a lot of good actors. It's got like the good version of Bruce Willis in it. It's got uh, Emile Hirsch plays the main character. and he's, he's a really good actor who doesn't show up in as much stuff, it seems, lately. But he had that little run in the early 2000s until he made the Speed Racer. Um, but yeah, Anton Yelchin plays the 15 year old kid. It's really, really good in it. Um, they kind of do it like a Stockholm syndrome type thing where like after a while, he's just having fun partying with these older guys and he just doesn't really want to go home. And at one point they kind of imply that like he could just sneak off and he just doesn't. And, you know, he ends up getting to have like, I don't don't know if I want to spoil the three-way scene that occurs. So maybe (laughs) the chapters are in it, but uh, you know, like it, the fact that the fact that he gets all that kind of stuff happening, why, if you're 15, why would you want to go home? And I, it's like like the, the cast list is amazing. Justin Timberlake is in it. Who's a surprisingly good actor. I was going to say, I think that was his first like big acting role. Okay, I can't remember. He's he's like I'm not. I don't have any real comments on Justin Timberlake music. It's so far outside of anything I would want to listen to. Um, I feel like it's it's not music I like, but I do recognize songs, and I do catch myself kind of nodding my head like, yeah, that is kind of a catchy tune, but yeah. it's not something I'm I'm gonna go out of my way to listen to. It's not. Yeah, I don't like. I couldn't name a song. I know like he was in a boy band, and then he's not. I don't know. I know that it is completely inappropriate to throw bottles of pee at him. I don't support that. I, I did accidentally see Justin Timberlake in concert once, and people did throw bottles of pee at him, and that was not cool. Aww, not cool. I, I have heard at one point he did, in fact, bring sexy back. <laughs> okay, that was him? 
And I see this yeah. is how little I understand dance music. I didn't realize that was even him. Yeah. And I actually think he's really funny. So I have no problem with him. The funny thing, if he had just done the song, I wouldn't be able to remember that. But there's a Saturday Night Live sketch where he plays his great-great-grandfather coming over on one of the boats. <laughs> and it's really fucking funny. Because he's like, someday, someday one of my descendants will bring sexy back. And they're like, what does that mean? Sexy will be gone. <laughs> and he will bring it back. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I've always, I've always given him credit because he is not afraid to make fun of himself. And as long as you're like cool with making fun of yourself, I have no problem. You can do whatever you want. You now some people are like, Justin Timberlake. I'm like, yeah, but even he's kind of like, Justin Timberlake, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> Use the dick in a box thing too, right? Yeah, that was him. Yeah, that was funny. Which, anyway. which they were worried. Andy Samberg, like talks about in one of the SNL documentaries like he's like I don't know I, I, I wrote it and I'm like I don't know if he's going to be into this <laughs> like is he even going to think this is funny and so like they approach him and then talk to him about it and he just he sits there and Andy Samberg is explaining it and then he's like oh yeah totally I'm totally in and it's like oh awesome and then they were best friends after that yeah. So, anyways, sorry, Alpha Dog. Continue. Yeah, Alpha Dog. People should watch it if you like. If you like, like true crime stories, and it's it's just fucking weird what goes on. The ending is pretty sad. Uh, but great performances. Ben Foster plays like the guy who plays. So he's Anton Yelchin's older brother, um, and he's really good in this movie because he's kind of like a. He's supposed to be like a criminal that's gone straight, but he's still kind of using drugs and stuff, and that's how he gets himself into this trouble. And his performance is particularly outstanding. Is this a, is this a, you're a big fan of his. I you? am, yeah. yeah. And the, this, I think, might be the movie that made me a fan of his way back. I, this is, I did watch this back when it was new. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it since. Um, Harry Dean Stanton's in this movie for some reason. Um, <laughs> It's super weird. He's like Bruce Willis's sidekick. <laughs> I don't understand exactly why he's in this movie, but I feel like that's how a lot of roles of Harry Dean Sandler explain. Yeah, like Harry Dean Sandler's in this for some reason. <laughs> so, yeah, I would. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a hard it's hard to explain what makes this movie good because it's definitely like it's one of those stories too where it's like this can't be real. But then what they do in the movie is like as like characters are walking by in the background, they, they'll tell you like the name of this character and their witness number twenty two from the trial because <laughs> these are the like actual things that actually happened and there's somebody actually just saw this going on, and you start to realize how dumb everyone in the movie is when you get to like like oh here's witness number thirty eight. So 38 people saw you with this kidnapped kid, eh? You're a shitty, shitty kidnapper if 38 people saw you with the victim. But they're just, it, it is one of those things where you're like, how could anybody this dumb be a successful drug dealer? It doesn't make any sense. I guess being a drug dealer is not a high skill occupation. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, just, I like it when true crime is so fucked up that, like, they make movies about it. 
So that's that's always a fascinating thing to me. But uh, yeah, so I I had a, I had a good run this week. I was pretty happy with the movies I watched. <laughs> um, but that was all I got to. Well, well we're going to discuss Captain Marvel in detail. But uh, got anything you want to talk about, Brian? Did everything you watched this week go just as planned, and you're perfectly happy with everything you saw? Uh, so the only movie I watched was a movie called The Unnameable from the late 80s. Has okay. anybody ever seen this? No, I've heard the title. Spoiler warning, they name it. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> I hate it when uh, they miss you. This is a movie I saw when I was like 10. Like rented it or whatever. I haven't really seen it since. It's one of those I've been like, oh, I remember that movie. I should watch that sometime. And I got to work from home the other day, so I had some time after watching Deadly Prey. So I figured, well, let's check out this Unnameable, see if it's if uh, it's any good at all, because I couldn't really remember much about it, other than just sort of the monster in it. Um, so it's based off a Lovecraft story. But the actual story it's named for doesn't really is not really doesn't really resemble the actual movie. It seems to follow more of like the Castle Freak type uh, type of storyline. So there's the old guy in the I don't know old timey days. I don't even know how far back it goes. Um, some people were dressed up like pilgrims with like the black and then the white weird like bib thing at the top and then buckles on their shoes. So we'll say around then. Um, so this old guy lives in this house and he seems to care for this uh, monster thing that we don't really get to see during this section. But it ends up turning on him and rips his heart out and just throws it on his chest. Physically rips it out or emotionally? Physically. Okay. Yeah, you actually, you actually get to see it. Nice. He's an actual, like, I think it's a pig's heart or something. Um, so cut to the religious people coming over to figure out what happened to him. And they're like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. And then someone's like, we should, we should lock this house up and daylight should never be seen inside this house again. Essentially saying, like, Close this place up. Don't ever fucking come back here. And so then cut to present day, which would be late 80s. Um, typical storyline of some kids from co- from the local college, Miskatonic University, decide, let's go uh, break into this old house at the cemetery and uh, have some, some shenanigans. And of course, when they break in, they actually let loose this uh, monster that's been living in the house. It very much has a female form, but with a weird, like, goat demon head type thing and, like, super sharp, like, claws. And so then the rest of the movie is spent uh, with the one nerdy guy that pretty much knows uh, all the details about old texts and whatever, um, looking for the Necronomicon in the house, while all the other kids end up getting picked off one by one after having premarital sex and all that other good stuff. 
Um, movie's okay. It's kind of slow. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Like, I don't know. It's all right. It's I, I don't remember it being good, so I wasn't, like, super disappointed, but it just sort of is. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's almost worse. Um... I know they made a sequel to it, like six or seven years later. And I watched that a couple years ago, but then I don't remember what that was any good either. So maybe the unnameable franchise is just something you can more not worry about. It seems like the franchise itself kind of suits the name. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what's that called again? I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. They just put, like, a special edition uh, Blu-ray of it. I think Severn put it out. Um, and so I think this was because it's on uh, it was on Prime. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll give this a watch. And if it's halfway decent, maybe I'll pick up a hard copy up on the shelf with some special features. But I don't think I need to spend the $20. For you to not buy the hard copy, that's a, <laughs> I know, right? a miracle unto itself, so... Not a good sign for the film. Yeah. So, part of me is disappointed. I was hoping it was going to be halfway decent, but yeah, not enough for me to pull that trigger on buying a physical copy. Uh, let's see. The only other thing I watched, uh, sadly, is that today, as we're recording this, the new Critter series on Shutter came out. And I use the term series loosely because I woke to Facebook, someone posting in our group saying, holy fuck, all these Critters episodes are only 10 minutes apiece. And I was like, wait, what? And so I look, and sure enough, eight episodes, 10 minutes apiece. So that's completely unacceptable to surprise people with that. Yeah. If you're going to put out a series of shorts, call it a series of shorts. Yeah. So, and then I kept reading that, like, the review on Bloody Disgusting was, even after Critters 3 and 4, the Critters series doesn't deserve this. And I was like, oh, man. So, I was like, well, when I get home from work today, I'll still, I'm going to give it a shot. And I did, and I'm sad to report that it's, Fucking terrible, which makes me sad. I think I read somewhere that this was originally developed for like some Verizon content platform. But then I don't know if that went defunct and then Shutter bought it or like what happened. And that explained why all the episodes are only 10 minutes. But. Well, I'm not inherently opposed to 10 minute productions. Yeah. I just. That's not what they said we were going to get. Yeah. So, the actual critters themselves is not... They're not terrible. Them I could deal with. Um, they do try to throw in way more plot than, than a critters thing needs. So they try with, to... In with 10-minute episodes. What, what the fuck? Yeah. Because they try to say that there's a crate that's been left on Earth after some secret mission. 
And so these, uh, these, uh, this team of crates is, is being sent by the president who, now that I think about it, kind of looks like Donald Trump in critter form. Um, uh, are being sent to Earth to, to you know, pick them up. It's supposed to be a covert mission, so they're not supposed to eat anything while they're down there. Uh, so, I don't know. Then, you know, cut to this uh, chubby kid who is being told by his mom that he needs to not eat so much all the time. His uh, uncle is played by Gilbert Godfrey, which I'm fine with, but then it gets some melodrama about some girl he likes at school and her throwing a party and him and his nerdy friend getting invited, even though her boyfriend hates them and they get in a fist fight, which the school principal played by Tom Lennon then comes and gives them detention all week. And that's like the first like two episodes. So what are the critters up to this whole time? I thought this was supposed to be a critter show. They're trying to find, like, where this lost critter is at. And Gilbert Godfrey's got some weird thing in the cage that has a blanket over it in the garage. So he's feeding it weird shit. So then it turns out the critters are trying to specifically find this fat kid's mom. Um, and you don't really know why. And it turns out they go to this place where they thought she might be, but it turns out that she sold the house. And so the critters are in the wrong place. And there's just, like, way too much interaction between the critters trying to form plans and all this stuff. Like, they're having, like, full conversations with each other in subtitles. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, there's way too much plot going on in this movie. I think I told someone on Facebook, literally, the plot just should have been. High school kids are having a party, and then the critters show up on Earth. That's literally all you need is critters attacking high school kids at a party. So yeah, they've crammed all this plot into it, and then this party happens in one episode, and that's like, not even, like, a critter shows up and ends up trying to eat a couple of them, but then jumps out the window so that nobody believes them that there's a critter there. It's just, the whole thing's fucking terrible. There was not enough critters eating people, and way too much plot points of there's a critter we lost on earth we need to find it and then conversations between critters trying to formulate some plan on where to go look and what to do and all this other stuff see it seems like the setup of the critters coming to earth to look for another critter is perfect for 10 minute shorts too because you just have them going from place to place interacting with a different group of people for a few minutes each time yeah they don't do that they, they interact with one old couple. And that's how they determine, like, oh, that lady doesn't live here anymore. And then most of the time is spent on this, this kid and his girl he's got a crush on nonsense. And his mom being mad at him. And that's pretty much what most of the plot for the entire series is. I don't think his mom's mad at him for ruining the Critter series, at least in my <laughs> And some of the CGI is so terrible. I was telling you before we started. So, of course, bounty hunters show up on Earth, too. But two of them crash land in Australia and then decide to just run to Iowa, which makes no sense. Is that supposed to be a joke? or I don't know. 
I literally thought, because we do see in the trailer that the Critter Ball returns. So I literally thought they were going to spend, because they don't get there until like the last two episodes. So I thought the joke was going to be we spent all this time with them running from Australia just to show up and get run over by the Critter Ball. Which I would have been like, okay, I can see what you were doing. It, it didn't completely succeed, but that's kind of funny. But that's not what happened. And some of the CG is so terrible. Like, you know, of course, two Australian guys find, like, their wrecked ship. And they're looking at it, and in the background, you see the, the bounty hunters. Like, it's all out of focus, and they sort of step in the frame. But they obviously shot it against a green screen, and the CGI is so terrible that it's, like... It looks like South Park characters like moving into frame. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I understand you have a ton of money, but it's literally just two people stepping into frame. Like, why does this look so god awful? <sighs> the actual hobbits are halfway decent. That's about the only good thing I can say. I don't like that they interact so much together. I feel like they should just be like on land piranhas, just trying to eat whatever they can find. They try to give the critters like way too much personality. Yeah, and occasionally blurting a swear word. Yeah, it's literally all you need. And yeah, and then it ends in one of the most ridiculous plot points I've ever heard, and got me so angry I almost quit. But I only had like one episode left, and I'm just like, I need to watch the rest of it so I know how angry I am by the time it's over with. It was fucking horrible. So, if you have Shutter, don't watch it. Keep keep good memories of critters in your in your head. This show is horrible. So I was literally going to sign up for the like free week of Shutter to watch this. Yeah, and you've like talked me out of it. <laughs> I was I was probably more excited for this than any other horror thing in the last maybe five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I have heard is things that make me sad, and I haven't even got to watch it yet. And like tomorrow, I'm sure after work, I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna watch it and just sit there and be like, "Oh, damn it!" Good thing is, it'll only take you a little bit over an hour to get through. Right? Oh, oh, so angry. They should have. There should have been warning on that. That's so infuriating. Who the fuck says that there's going to be a series in their fucking ten minute shorts? Yeah. Again, though, it's like you could make fun little ten-minute shorts about the critters. There's no mm-hmm. reason why you couldn't do that. Yeah. Just or you could have made an anthology movie with a bunch of unrelated little critter stories. Yeah, but you you, you just got to tell people that's what you're doing. You can't tell people it's like a TV series and it's ten-minute shorts. Yeah, yeah. I feel. Oh, like I'm getting so angry just thinking about it. When the the writing credits show up, I just get mad. Because I'm like, did you even watch any of the Critters movies? Because this is, like, fucking terrible. And you can tell how relevant it is, because there's a fucking Matrix joke in there. Where somebody throws, like, a cafeteria tray at one of them, and then they do the whole, like, bullet time bullshit. And I'm like, you could have not spent money on that scene and put that money to better use of a different scene. Fucking stupid. Yeah. Mad. Dumbasses. Just saying, Shudder has built a lot of goodwill with me through Joe Bob and various other things, and I feel like this is going to cost them dearly. Well, the good thing is, like I said, I think this was made for 
Verizon content platform that just never went anywhere. They just bought it. I don't think they had any hand in actually producing it. But they shouldn't have even bought it. Still, that is true. They shouldn't have released it. Like you shouldn't have done that. And if they did buy it, they could have just said, "Hey, we got all these unreleased shorts from this shitty platform that never existed. You guys can watch them if you want." <laughs> yeah, like that would have been acceptable. Not pump it up as though it's a new series of other critters. Mm-hmm. But I guess the flip side, the good, the good thing is, like a while ago, they announced that Sci-Fi had bought the licensing to do some critters movies. So coming off of this, I mean, I don't think I can be too disappointed in whatever Sci-Fi puts out for a critters movie. I think you underestimate the power of uh, <laughs> made-for-TV sci-fi movie. I don't know. You haven't watched it. You don't know. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Alright, Noah, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Uh, next week, we're gonna get fucking weird. Uh, we're gonna do uh, a Takashi Miike film of uh, Itchy the Killer, which is a super fucked up weird movie. Uh, and then we're going to do Old Boy so that we'll never feel clean again. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> hammer fight. Yeah, hammer fight. <laughs> Guy, guy eats a squid and then he has that cool hammer fight. And we can concentrate our discussion of old boy on those scenes. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that's what we're doing next week. But as we promised, we're going to talk about some Captain Marvel, uh, which we'll say is uh, going to be spoilerific. So from here forward, just be warned. Yeah. As Rick- you heard, Noah and Doug are. Highly recommend it. I said that it was middle tier Marvel, which is still good, just not towards yeah. the top of the list for me. Yeah, I was gonna say middle tier Marvel, still awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm I'm not gonna say it's my favorite Marvel movie. It's not up there with um like Winter Soldier is my favorite, which I think is like it's really telling. Every almost everybody like your favorite Marvel movie is almost always Winter Soldier or Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is like a Guardian style movie. It, it, it's using that format that Marvel seems to be relying heavily on right now, uh, which is okay. Uh, it's it's really more a question of how well it's done. And I think this like I a lot of this movie becomes a buddy cop movie between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. And it's fun to watch those two go back and forth. That's essentially my review of this movie. Is it's fun to watch those guys go back and forth. What about you, Noah? What do you enjoy about it? Uh, most of the things I would say. Uh, I, 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 my opinion of it, I would say it's not top five, but it's certainly not bottom five. There you go. So in 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 Marvel once so again, middle tier Marvel. Yeah, well, well, and definitely good because there's only about three Marvel movies that I think are just and, and saying not good isn't even fair, but that I didn't particularly enjoy, like Iron Man three. I don't like it. Thor: Dark World. I don't like it. 
But this one, it was fun. I thought they made some weird changes for some reason. I don't get why they changed the cat's name. Yeah. Uh, uh, The explanation that's been given is that when the cat was named Chewy in the comics, Star Wars was something that was like done and it was like an old-timey reference. But now that Star Wars is back and it's like part of modern pop culture, they tried to come up with something that was equally old-timey and kind of outdated. Plus, you know, movies set partly in the 80s and partly in the 90s, you're going to go on and go ahead and make a Top Gun reference if you want to. Go ahead. Right. Also, um, technically not a cat, so... I, I think I would say, so I like the fact that it doesn't, it's not a traditional superhero story because there's no supervillain, right? There's just yeah. kind of innocuous groups of bad guys. I like that element of it. I liked that the origin story also is not a straight narrative, that they she starts with her powers, and we're well, we get to know her as, as we get to we get the history as part of like through flashbacks and stuff, rather than having like a straight narrative of here she is, and then here you get her story. So that's another way that it differentiated itself from the traditional origin story superhero movie. Right. And then I would say my biggest complaint about the movie is exactly what the fuck were they thinking with the whole Cree thing? Like, how are they going to try to sell everybody in, oh, the scrolls are the bad guys? And it's like, well, no. Come on. we Like, we've seen... 20 movies and a bunch of them deal with the Kree. We all know the Kree are bad. Like, it's not a mystery. We're like, okay, Star Force, her team, they're bad. You know what I mean? It's the Kree. They're bad. They're, they're okay. Bad. Uh, I have to disagree with you on that because watching this movie, being somebody who doesn't follow the comics and only watches the movies, yeah, I knew like Ronan was bad. I knew there were bad Kree, but I didn't. When we are given, here's Captain Marvel on this team, I took it at face value. Certainly normal normies in the audience would like say at face value, yeah, she's the good guy. We know she's the hero. So if she's on that team, they're going to be the good guys. I'm, I didn't really see the twist coming. Did you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No. There's literally two entire seasons okay. dedicated to the fact that the Kree are bad. But the... Given the ratings numbers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the box office numbers for Captain Marvel, there's a lot of us who saw Captain Marvel that didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. I mean, I accept that if you're saying there's people who didn't pick up on the fact that the Kree are bad guys, but I I think the vast I majority think you'd have to be unobservant. I think the vast majority of people, like certainly normies, I, I would say 99% of normies, and at least probably half the geeks out there didn't see the twist coming. Or at least, even if even if you knew that at some point the Kree were going to were going to become the bad guys, at some point you kind of didn't know when and where and how it was going to happen. Yeah. I thought the weird the weirdest decision they made was making the scrolls not bad. Yeah, that really bothered me. Well, here, here's my take on that, though. I think that what they were trying to do in the was say, hey, look, there's like, this is a war. There's not a good guy and a bad guy in a war. It's basically what it is. Because when at the end of the day, what Marvel was working towards and what Captain Marvel says she's going to do at the end 
is not to win the war it's to end the war right like that's they make that very clear like there's not the mess the the one of the messages in the movie there's a lot of not so subtle messaging built into this movie um but I think the message is like war is fucked up killing each other is wrong you shouldn't always be trying to do that you, you know what i mean one guy's terrorist is another guy's freedom fighter you, there's not there's not a good guy and a bad guy when a war happens you should just all try to stop fighting if you can and i think that okay so yeah like we meet these scrolls that are you know they call them refugees and there's children and women there and stuff okay and but uh is it thanos or no not thanos uh, what's the whatever the lead scroll's name is like he fully says like yeah like i've done terrible shit in this world too like he's he, he's not a good guy he's just try, a guy that's trying to protect his family and therefore he's probably doing some bad things and so has everybody else in the war right but but what i'm saying is there's a there's a difference in the idea of so this this movie did the whole there aren't good guys in war what I'm saying is in the comic books, it's made very clear that both sides are bad. Like, okay. both sides are absolutely evil. The Kree are a weird uh, colonial authoritarian regime that, you know, will pretty much crush out and extinct any species that refuses to join their empire. And then the the scroll, although originally there's this really cool idea that the scroll were kind of forced into being evil, but the, the necessity for it ended a long time ago, and now they are this, you know, species of infiltrators who go in and basically rot societies from within and take over that way. Well, and there's no reason why they couldn't still play that up, right? I mean, we're dealing with the time frame where they're being oppressed. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason why that the negative shit they start doing during as part of this war, there isn't going to be a segment of them that continue doing it when the war is over. I was I was a little disappointed that they say that the they said that the Kree destroyed their home world. I was hoping that they would say after our home world was destroyed and just leave it at that. But that's okay. That's a comic book thing. All right. In uh, in the comic books, Galactus ate their planet. Yeah, maybe the Kree gave Galactus directions there. So he'd know where to eat it. Possibly, possibly. They could still, they could still, they could still retroactively change that <laughs> as many times I'll, as they want. It's comics. I'll tell you the other thing. I really like the fact that the cool advertising misdirect that they did, where they convinced everybody that Jude Law was Marvel mm -hmm. by by not saying it and just letting the internet make shit up and just not correcting. Well, because he looks like him. Does he? See again, yeah. like, a lot of this stuff when he, the whole Captain Marvel mythos for me is I know nothing. I know the nineties X-Men cartoon where Rogue steals her power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He 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 looks like him and he was kind of her uh mentor. G generally it's the same. The the origin story's pretty close. The whole thing with the engine exploding's a little different. In the comic books it's got to do with like a there's an explosion, and somehow it transfers energy from Marvel into Carol, and yeah, see, like, it, it's like it's almost like a Hulk type situation, so like a bomb, and then he like shields her so she won't get right hurt. But the, doing that transfers his energy into her, or something. Yeah, yeah, and she she takes part of his DNA basically. 
She got his DNA through a blood transfusion in the movie. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. And they still did that where she is part Cree. She's got Cree blood, you know. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Like, I like all of it. I don't like the fact that... So, for the most part, I like the costume that they put on her. I really, really enjoyed the scene where the little girl was recoloring her suit. Because that's, that was, like, a great little nerd reference where they were like, hey, let's show you all the suits. Like... But the Mohawk helmet yep. is one of the worst fucking things that has ever happened in the comics. And it is hot garbage, and I am so fucking upset that they chose to go with that look. Oh, I like it. Oh, yeah, you know. would. <laughs> I like it. I like the inherent ridiculousness of her hair sticking out through her helmet, especially when she's flying around space, and they actually go through the effort of having like that little, like, the same kind of mask thing that like Star Lord and other people have used, where they have like that bluey thing that goes over their face to serve as a so they can breathe in space. And they do that, but they still let her hair be flying in the, in the breeze. <laughs> it's stupid, but I like it. It looks cool. Yeah, the uh, the amount of weird incel douchebags complaining about this movie upsets me a little bit. Oh, yeah, those guys could go fuck themselves right off. Like okay, so I, I've I've listened to a couple of different reviews of this and read a few things. You've obviously got yeah, like there's the oh girl can't be a superhero guys. We don't need to address them. But there's a lot of people who are seeing a lot of different feminism in this movie. Some saying it's a positive, some saying it's a negative, some reading way too much into it, and I'm just like I think you could have just had this be a male character and told the exact same story and it would have been just fine. Yeah, and nobody would have said a fucking word. I, about I don't. It. I don't think that there's a whole lot of plot that goes on in this movie, or like really very much at all, that relies on her being female. And to me, that's like great. Like that's what eventually what the goal should be is when you make a movie, you just the character is whoever naturally fits the part. I mean, from a plot perspective. Yes, she's. They drop a line that the reason she's in the situation she's in, flying these te- as a test pilot, is because she's not allowed to fly combat missions as a female. That's relevant plot-wise. That explains why there's like a bunch of different females doing these test uh, flights. Um, I think there's a couple of like little feminist moments. The one, yeah, the, the, one the guy, guy like, on the bike telling her to smile, telling her to smile. Yeah, uh, whatever. Like it is a. It, you do have a, a, a female superhero for the first time, really, in Marvel. Well, um, and that's, that's sure, that's social commentary, but that's, like, a relevant piece of modern-day social commentary. Like, that's yeah. something that's and, being discussed all the time. And Why it wasn't it overwhelming. It was two seconds. Um, mm. You know, I thought, I thought the use of I'm just a girl during one of the big fight scenes was pretty heavy-handed. But I've seen a lot of people point to like the fact that when she has her flashback sequences, there's like a lot of men that are telling her she's not good enough or something. And I'm like, I don't, I didn't pick up on any of that. Like that it was like men telling her that she wasn't good enough, but she was always standing up to them. And I'm like, no, I got that she kept falling down and kept getting back up. But I don't like. I don't. I think if you had had that be a little boy in those flashback sequences, and it was all their dads telling them they weren't good enough, that you never would have thought twice about it. It's just people adding that in because they want this to be a controversial thing. Uh, 
it seemed right. silly to me that people like I don't consider this a feminist movie. I don't consider like like I say if they used one of the different versions of Captain Marvel from the, from the comics that happened to be male, I think that would have been just fine. I think this movie could have played out almost exactly as it did. I even listened to one fucking review where they were complaining about how they were saying that in the scenes where Samuel L. Jackson is playing with the cat and she doesn't like the cat, how that was like Marvel trying to prove that she's not some sissy girl in that. And I'm like, you're really fucking reaching at this point. Because as far as I'm concerned, they just wanted to make a joke about how the tough guy likes to play with the cat. Like the, right, right. That Nick Fury is super into a kitty cat. Yeah, like the, the joke is Nick Fury, who we've seen from movies be this huge tough guy, is likes cats. That's that's it. Who fucking cares? Like, I don't understand why people have to add in all this shit. I mean, like, like I say with the flashback stuff, I think there are a couple of scenes of I, I like with with females and stuff, and it's like who cares if most of the people in her past, like if most people in her past life were male. I, I didn't pick up on it, and I don't give a shit. Thought the the neat like Buffy the Vampire Slayer ripoff where they showed all the different scenes of her like standing back up was kind of a cool moment, and I don't understand what the problem was with any of that. Right, I think most of the the moments that people are arguing is SJW stuff are actually legitimately awesome. Like, I like the line of this whole time I've been fighting with my hands tied. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, that's awesome. That's fucking badass. She's getting ready to go all Super Saiyan and fuck some shit up. <laughs> I mean, the whole, the part where she's on the uh, the scroll ship and she, like, fights her way all the way through with those, like, manacles over her hands just clubbing the living shit out of people. It's fucking awesome. I love that. I love that fight scene. That was probably the best one in the movie. So you guys haven't even mentioned the most important part of the movie yet. Which is... What did we think of the Stan Lee cameo? It made me really sad. It it made me sad and happy all at once. And you know what I kept thinking as I was like, as I was driving home from the theater, I kept thinking I wish that was the last one. Because Stan Lee getting to play Stan Lee as the who's last. Prepar- who's preparing to play Stan Lee and Mallrats? Yeah. yeah like, it's about uh, as meta as something gets. And it's, and it, you know what, like, Stanley obviously has a great passion, or had, I should say, I guess, a great passion for the fans. He had a great passion for the material that he was involved in creating and for the art form of comic book making. But the one thing Stanley loved the most was Stanley. He was, he was really happy with himself. And I think the idea of getting to play himself would make him happy. Um, so I, I, I wish there wasn't going to be another Stanley cameo. Maybe the next one will be great too, and I'll be regretting saying that, but I can't imagine it being better. Yeah. So, of course, Kevin Smith took pictures of himself bawling after he saw the movie. Yeah. He, he said something that was that was kind of cool, though, where it's like I spent I spent pretty much most of my adult life referencing movies, and for the first time, movies referenced me. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty awesome. I, you know what? Like, I'm I'm fully on board being a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah, I'm not subtle about it. Mm-hmm. I was super fucking happy for the guy when this happened. I'm like, that's yeah. that's a guy who turned being a geek into his life, which is mm-hmm. awesome. We all wish we could do it. And he seems like a genuinely good guy. I don't know him. I only know 
like his public persona. But he does seem like a good guy. And can you imagine how happy you would be if that happened for you? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I, I saw it on Twitter and I responded to him. And I said that uh, he definitely deserved it because he flew the flag of comic books when doing that wasn't necessarily yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I even made a comment on in my Instagram post about this, like about I forget exactly what I said. I, I usually like the things I say, so I try to keep <laughs> something like you know, like just making a mall rats reference in this movie is a nice little nod from Marvel to all of us, to those of us who knew who Stanley was in the '90s, because everyone knows who Stanley is now. Mm-hmm. Like mainstream audiences know who Stanley is; they didn't back then. And guys like Kevin Smith put him in Mallrats, and guys like us knew who that was, and we're happy to see him. Mm-hmm. And then now that everybody does to make the references that we're going to get, because other people might not get it, right? There's going to there's going to be a major part of the audience who, even though they recognize that that's Stan Lee, don't know that he was in a movie called Mallrats in 1995, and you know don't know that he played himself in that movie. Mm-hmm. Let alone would they have known who he was back then? Hell, there's a big part of the audience that wasn't alive in 1995. It's not their fault they didn't know about Mallrats. Yeah. Um, so, I, like, I, I thought that cameo was fantastic. Did you guys think that them using the Tesseract was a little weird? Uh, yeah. I feel like now I need to go back to the movies and rewatch them all because I feel like the timeline is odd. Well, this is when it shows up again. So we still don't know like how Marvel got it, because last we saw it, Red Skull had it and he vanished. Yeah, I think that there is commentaries at one point that they say it, it was lost, and somehow Shield got it back, and this is how Shield got it back. Mm-hmm. So we we knew there was a time frame where it was unaccounted for, and there still would be a significant right. time frame between. 40s and the 80s, it's unaccounted for. So, what did you guys think of the Flurkin? Well, you know, I liked him. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious. I mean, it's... All the stuff with the cat I thought was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I Did you guys... Um, what did you think about the fact that the cat scratched Nick Fury's eye out? I think it's pretty funny. Yeah? I do think it's funny. It is a little underwhelming. I read uh, I read something online. I wish I could remember where I got this from because I would give credit to them, but they point out that in Winter Soldier, he says, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. And then when he's carrying a cat, he actually says, look, cat, I trust you not to do anything wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody took the time to write that in so that the last time Nick Fury trusted anybody, it was a fucking cat, and the cat scratched his eye out. <laughs> I did absolutely love the moment where I think it was Coulson that asks him, like, is it true that the, the scrolls like or the creed like burned your eye out and you refused to answer any questions? I can neither confirm nor deny the facts. <laughs> I really like the bit where he goes, It's just a scratch, it's gonna be fine, and that scroll goes, No. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess, like again, being a fan of the more serious Marvel movies, that I wish there was some dark story about Nick Fury getting tortured for an entire movie and losing an eye in the process and whatever, whatever, whatever. But 
given that this is the way the Marvel movies are going, I thought it worked. I can't remember if in the comic books they ever even say how he lost the eye. They explain how he became black in the comics. He started it as a white dude in that. So if you're not going to question that, I don't think you need to worry about well, that. Well, that was a That's universe a whole, jump. It was okay. a universe jump, and now the new Nick Fury is his son. Right. And for some reason. And there's this crazy thing in the comic books that they haven't dealt with yet, and I keep waiting for it to be a thing where uh, you never actually see Nick Fury. Nobody knows what Nick Fury looks like because all of the Nick Furies you see in the comic book are robots. Okay. That are like facsimiles that are decoys of Fury. <laughs> did you not did you not read the one with him becoming the new watcher? Uh-uh. Well, they've determined that Nick Fury is actually sort of a an old man now. And then he takes the Watu's place after he was assassinated. Oh, see, I didn't. I didn't read all that. Death of the Watcher. Yeah, but yeah, I was. I, I don't know if that's okay. It not. was revealed like right at the beginning of Civil War that like all every Fury that you've ever seen in the comic books is a, a Fury bot, and that nobody's yeah. actually seen Nick Fury since World War Two or something like that. Yeah, they they sort of discussed all that in the Death of the Watcher thing because he's got all these bots like running around like working for him. And he's like an old man who walks with a cane now. See, I like that. That's pretty cool. It's kind The thing I was disappointed with the scrolls is, because um, as we know, Noah, the scrolls are like fucking badass and terrifying. Um, Some of them, at least. Yeah, and I mean, they made them the good guys in here, and I've heard people sort of put the argument out like, well, that's just like these specific scrolls that are tired of fighting and just looking for a home. So, I mean, the entire sort of scroll scroll army or whatever could still play a factor. It is kind of racist of you to assume all the scrolls will be (laughs) very few scrolls. Yeah. There's three or four different main scrolls that are the ones I'm interested in seeing. Super Scroll and uh, oh, what's his Titanus? Is that his name? We'll get to that. Keep in mind that we have whatever it is from '95 to 20, yeah, year 2019. Whenever that scene in, in whenever she shows up in uh, the next Avengers, that's they have all that time to play with, right? Yeah, Captain Marvel was off doing something. So she goes and convinces the Kree in Captain Marvel 2, she convinces the Kree to stop oppressing Skrulls by destroying the whatever that their leader was. And then some of the Skrulls are like, fuck this, we're going to take a revenge. So in Captain Marvel 3, she has to fight a Skrull army. Yeah, well, there's rumblings that uh, this movie may set up uh, Secret Invasion, which was more of a re- recent-ish uh, storyline where we find out that people who we've been following in comic books for years were actually overtaken by scrolls like forever ago. And then, you know, that it goes way deeper than we thought. And they were in all these places of power within the Marvel Universe and stuff. And I thought there was rumblings they might set that up where we find out somebody we've been watching 
throughout the entire run of the Marvel movies has been a scroll the entire time and we didn't know. Which I, I thought would have been a fun way to go, but they yeah. could do something like that though. They like if oh, you, they can, yeah. how they did the Civil War movie where they took like the concept and narrowed it down to make it more film friendly. They could do that with Secret Invasion as well, where you wouldn't necessarily like have it be some main characters or scrolls, but you could have scrolls invading in the future. Yeah, for sure. But I'm just ready to see some. As soon as they announced that scrolls were coming, I was super excited. I'm like, oh, this could totally like flip everything on its head and be I just a way to refresh like the Marvel universe on film somehow. Secret Invasion would be interesting, but man, I really want the next bad guy to be Doom. Yeah, there's also rumblings that maybe Galactus maybe the next threat after they get rid of Thanos. Like the next whole section maybe setting up Galactus coming. And again, that would be like a 10-year process of setting all that up. I would like to see Doom as well. I, I have a sinking suspicion that Endgame's going to involve time travel. Oh, yeah. And that... I think so. Yeah, and that that's how they're going to do everything, because they're going to be like, oh, guess what? Butterfly effect. We changed one little thing in the past, and now... Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and now it's new actors. Woo! <laughs> I don't think they'll do that. Yeah, I don't see them recasting. I thought if they did, they were going to use the Infinity Gauntlet to explain some of that. Because there were weird stories where, like, Tony Stark turned into a teenager out of nowhere. And Loki at one point was a teenager. But he was was also a lady. He was also a lady. For a long time. I was like, are they going to use, like, the reality gem and just, like, weird some stuff up for a little while? Or... doesn't look like that's what they're going to do. I really hope they're not going to pull something like that. Like that, that, All that stuff that you just described would annoy me. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think I think you're going to get time travel. They're going to reset no. some stuff. Uh, keep in mind that the whole future is like a mess right now because that Fox deal just went through. So mm-hmm. now they can officially start planning how to bring in the X-Men. Yeah. I really want them to recreate that 90s cartoon that I already referenced where Rogue steals Captain Marvel's power. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I really, 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 really want them to say all the X-Men stuff is a separate universe. It's not going to happen. You can keep wanting that all it's you gonna, want. I'm telling you, it's poison. If anything could destroy this entire wonderful world of comic book stuff <laughs> that we have, it's putting the fucking X-Men into main continuity. They may not even go that far. They may just throw Wolverine in there and be happy with it. I think eventually you're going to have X-Men, right? You're going to have the Avengers, the thing you got to remember, these guys have to at some point step down, right? Like they can't just keep, it's not logical to think that in a movie world that they're going to keep making Avengers movies. These guys are all going to go away. So maybe the X-Men take over, right? Maybe that's the new main team fighting global threats is now X-Men instead of Avengers. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, yeah. They are officially uh, they are officially scrapping the entire Fox universe except for Deadpool, of course. Because yeah. that's the only one that can get away with just porting over, which I think is fantastic. 
Well, Dead, Deadpool can continue to do his own thing. I hope it, I hope that at no point they have him inserted in other movies, but mm-hmm. they're be making references to these movies. Yeah, I would almost like them to say they are keeping them separate to an extent, but all of the X Men stuff on that side is all going to follow the Deadpool charge and just be like hard R violence. You know, not gonna happen. I I totally think it could. Why wouldn't they? They're not gonna take Wolverine and make him only into hard R movies. They, I, th- I think of if anybody movie. is portable, Wolverine's the one that's going to get ported. But but also, if you want to make the best Wolverine movie ever, it needs to be hard R. If, it, if it's going to be anything like any of his comic books ever. Yeah, we got our hard R Wolverine. That's right, and, it was, and yeah. it was better than the other ones. Totally agree. Well, we live in the real world where Disney wants to make that sweet, sweet Disney money. They're not going to restrict Wolverine from being in their more kid-friendly movies. Yeah. We'll I don't see. know. It's going to be an interesting, interesting time. We'll see what happens. I think I think they understand that they're going to have to move into other markets if they want to. Uh, Currently, because they is everybody though. Well, that's what I'm saying. But they've got they've got the PG-13 shit locked down. That's I guess my point is we're all all of us who would like to see our rated comic book movies are going to see these movies and they're getting the other audience in. See, I don't think so, but there's the grimdark crowd that are insisting that DC movies are good and that all Marvel movies are shit. Those people, no, I don't anybody, They're wrong. <laughs> but they exist. The DC movies aren't even properly dark though. No, they're not. They're bad. Like I said, they're wrong. But they because, exist. Like I think the like I think back when like okay when you go back to like the Nolan films, which were dark comic booky movies, I think that because they were good, they got the crowd. Dark versus light is not the issue that divides audiences; it's quality. And then for some reason Transformers movies continue to make money, even though there's never been a quality. Movie. I I was getting ready to say. I, th- I think that's proven wrong by Transformers and the fact that they're still making fucking Fast and Furious movies. I don't get it. I don't get it. I went to see Captain Marvel and there was that fucking trailer for Fast and Furious Presents or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, I was the, like, motherfucker, let it die. Why won't it die? The Rock spinoff. Yeah, but that's more of a rock movie than it is a Fast and Furious movie. Let's be honest. But now they're creating a Fast and the Furious extended universe, and I'm not okay with it. <laughs> but I think part of that is because The Rock and Vin Diesel do not get along. So they just need to put them in separate movies? Yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, like I said, middle tier Marvel for me, which you both agree with. And I mean, it's good. It's not terrible. I'd say upper middle tier. That's fair enough. So, like, I think it belongs in the discussion with like, like guardians and stuff like that. It breaks. It breaks the formula very well, which I appreciate. No, it it did get a little at the end. I was like, when she's just flying around, stopping all the missiles and flying through ships, and that it got a little. That's where my comparison to the DC universe would be. Is it's like. Mm These are just flashy lights happening on the screen in front of me. And I, See, that's the part I really like, though. 
Yeah, I was talking to somebody about the problem of that. Is so now they're this in maybe this is what they're going for with uh, the next phase. The problem is, is with the introduction of Captain Marvel, you're introducing that other level of power of super people that they're ridiculous. I mean, she can fucking wreck anybody else that's been introduced, including the Hulk. And and people are going to be sitting at home getting mad, being like, no, Hulk's strongest there is. No, fuck you. Like, she's she's literally decked him in the comic books before and put him on his ass. Like, it's it's pretty clear that she's the most powerful character we've ever seen by a long shot. Like, maybe Thor is comparable on some levels, but it's like I almost like my concern is she's too powerful. How do you continue to tell other stories? Well, you like I said, I think it's going to be you've got to bring in the other characters that are like that. So we're going to have to get people like Nova Prime and Gladiator. Yeah, we may have to just keep her off of Earth for all of her solo movies. Right, right. There's going to have to be this new cosmic yeah. tier. And 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 I get that. I get that we're going to have her fighting these like much bigger threats out in space for a lot of the movies that she for her solo movies. My concern is they're going to bring her into the team in Endgame, and I don't know how she interacts with these other characters. Unless they do something to depower her, I don't know why like why like why are they all wearing those fancy suits to go through time or whatever it is they're doing? Why don't they just get her a suit and just let us know when you're done. Well, like, I, I think I, those are spacesuits. Space I think suits. she might actually already be partially depowered. Yeah, I, I've have heard different theories that they would depower her for the purposes of bringing her back to the into the team. Well, but, she, you know, she absorbed the energy from the engine, but the power source of the engine is the tesseract. Yeah. So she's basically drawing power from the tesseract. Well, the tesseract's been destroyed. That's true. There's so, that argument, and there's I've I even heard one theory that um, maybe she was supposed to die in the snap, but she's so fucking powerful that she didn't die. But it really would have drained her energy. She's using all her powers to keep herself like non disintegrated, <laughs> which would be an interesting twist to have, because then it would be that would give her a motivation to join the team other than just like, like a personal stake in it. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, luckily we don't have long to wait. So yeah, like, I'm really glad that it's not too long until then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This year guys, this year's going to be so good. <laughs> I mean, just, just the next few weeks, I've got more movies coming out. Hmm. Got Shazam, then I got Hellboy. I know you guys aren't excited for Hellboy. I'm excited for Hellboy. Even the newer trailer, I still think looks like garbage. Yeah, yeah, I think Hellboy might be. Hopefully, they'll dump it to Netflix one day. Hate it, hate it all you want. I'm gonna go see that shits. I'm gonna go see it just because I have the AMCA list, so it's essentially free for me. Uh, So I'll probably go see it, but I'm not expecting a whole lot out of it. But yeah, I'm just saying. So Shazam, and then that, and then Endgame, and then fuck, damn, shit. I, I am excited for Shazam. I think that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Which is what I, they should have been doing with some of their movies to begin with. 
I just hope I hope the spirit of that movie is accurately captured in those trailers because I have such high hopes for it. And if it's fucking all grim darky and they're just pretending it's not, I'm going to be really fucking pissed off. My concern is that they're going to rely too heavily on the lighthearted, jokey fun of it and that they're just going to like forget to have a plot and characters and stuff, which is a problem that DC has, right? Yeah. Again, DC's real problem isn't that they make dark movies, it's that they make shitty movies. They make right. shitty dark movies, sure, but the dark hey. is the problem. Although they brought in James Gunn on uh, Suicide Squad 2. He's gonna fix it! It's, it's a full reboot, apparently. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And, we haven't even had a chance to talk about it, Disney came to their senses and rehired him for Guardians 3. Yeah, which is going to be fantastic. I think, I think they figured out that a couple actors were really fucking pissed off. <laughs> well, yeah. which one? The the actors were so subtle in their responses, right? <laughs> well, I think I think Disney was in that mode where they were like, "What are you guys going to do about it? It's not like you're going to fucking quit." And then Batista was like, "I'll fucking quit." Batista's <laughs> like, "Fuck, man!" Like, I got WWE money. I ain't got to worry about this bullshit. He's like, he's like, "Fuck you guys! I'm rich." Yeah, I think when they hire, um, when they hire fucking uh, non-actors, they forget that non-actors don't need like fifty million dollars in the bank to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like most most of us could retire on like a million dollars. So if you pay Dave Batista like a few million dollars to be in a couple of movies, he doesn't need you anymore. <laughs> I'm assuming they also brought somebody in to redo the script and the actors all looked at the script and they were like, we need James to come back. You guys fucked this up. My favorite conspiracy theory that's currently going on around the internet is that this was all just a plan, that they were always going to bring him back, mm-hmm. which I like. I, I, I mean, want it to be true. Yeah. I mean, sure, why not? I mean, you know, they're business people. Some of them know how to play the system and have it work, so... It, or like, I mean, I, I fully believe that at some level, at least they were thinking about bringing him back right away. Like, it, if, if maybe it was an e-jerk reaction to fire him, but certainly somewhere along the line, very early on, they must have realized, oh shit, the fans, the real fans, all have this guy's back. The actors all have this guy's back. Everybody thinks he should stay. Mm-hmm. We've made a mistake. The, the funny thing is, I kind of expected a counter campaign of those fucking Nazis to come out of the woodwork again to try to, like, freak everyone out about this. And I haven't seen that. So so far, pretty much, the response has been everybody going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bring him back, you stupid fucks. And now, you push back Guardians 3 because you got to wait for him to get done on Suicide Squad 2. Yeah. Idiots. Hey, but we might get an actual good DC movie. Yeah, I still like Wonder Woman, so. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah but that's the girl movie. That is a cow. I was gonna say here's here's the problem though is so Wonder Woman's by far the best DC movie so far, but that doesn't like say a lot. No, but I still really like Wonder Woman. I still think it's really good. Yeah, it's good. Sure. I just don't think it's really good. Hmm. Right, it's good, but is it Winter Soldier good? 
Oh, nothing's Winter Soldier good. Yeah, it's not Winter Soldier good. So I don't. I don't think Wonder Woman reaches the. It's not Captain Marvel good. It's not Guardians good. It's not any of the upper. It's not. I mean, it's. It's, it's not it's Guardians Marvel. good. I think I do enjoy Wonder Woman a little more than Captain Marvel. Though. I, I just don't see how that's possible. You don't like. You don't like plots. <laughs> Wonder Woman's definitely better than Thor two. Is it? I'd have to rewatch Thor two to comment. Thor two's not good. I think the worst Marvel movie to date is probably Iron Man three. Agreed. I think I can pretty much say that. I think. I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron was weak, but it was uh, like mindless action fun, and so I can like forgive it. Yeah, I find Age of Ultron is the kind of movie that if it's on TV and you're flipping through and you just like watch it it's much better than it was when you went to see it in theaters because you don't have the expectation built in and you're not paying as much attention and asking as many questions of yourself uh, you have to sit down and try to rank all the Marvel movies so uh, post credit scenes we do get to see the Avengers trying to work on Nick Fury's uh, ager that he gets from Captain Marvel yeah, there's no real information provided in that scene. No, um, I don't. I don't know. I saw something online where they said there's a huge, huge thing in that scene, but you have to like pay real close attention to see it. What was it? I I didn't read it because I don't want to know. But oh, okay. they said there's something. There's something like sitting somewhere that's real spoilery that gives away information about something. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Maybe I'll have to. I'm sure it's on YouTube by now. Maybe I'll have to read it. Yeah. On the on the uh, other hand, if if what's true about the uh, the end game trailers, then Disney's being real fucking sneaky. Well, I've heard a couple of things with the end game trailers. One is that, like they've said, it's there's obviously some of the doing the old like trickery with. Yeah, unfinished shots or editing characters out. Oh yeah, that That's seems like you're sure. sure. But, but I've I think heard that was Captain Marvel out of them though. I think they've actually said though that the Russo brothers only released like eight minutes of footage to be allowed mm-hmm. to be used in trailers. Yeah, and so they got to put together like four two-minute trailers out of eight minutes of footage without completely re- like they're basically they're screwed right so mm-hmm. that's why the last trailer was like a lot of flashbacks to other movies and shit because what else are you gonna do yeah. so i think it's gonna be pretty interesting to see how that i think it's i think when we go into endgame if you go in on opening night you're gonna manage you could possibly go in and see that movie without knowing anything about what it's about i really. like I like how annoyed the Russos are too about explaining stuff about Endgame where they have to make statements like, just so everybody knows, Endgame is not Captain Marvel comes in and saves the day. <laughs> it's not that's well, not the movie we made. Yeah, again again with assholes on the internet. Like they're talking about how like Endgame would just end with Captain Marvel just showing up and like flicking Flannos on the nose and that's the end of the movie. And it's like, no, that's obviously not the movie. Like, who, what the fuck would make you think that they'd spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make that? <laughs> They're not going to do that. Why would they? So, so ten, ten years of storylines just to end it with somebody yeah, flicking right. somebody in the nose. Well, 
and one of the funny, I was talking to somebody at work about this today, and they, because he pretty much said that, and he was like, well, Captain Marvel's just going to stomp him, and it's like, okay, Captain Marvel is Superman powerful, right? Mm -hmm. We can all admit that. We've seen the movie Superman powerful. Thanos with the gauntlet is God. Like, he's literally God. He can change and do anything at any time. Yeah. He, he can just, he could literally turn her into, like, a pile of poop. She comes flying at him, and he goes, nope, you're poop now. End, end of Captain Marvel. Amazing. Or like the Don Cheadle uh, Captain Planet stuff. He just goes, tree. <laughs> tree. Yeah, I don't, I I, th I think that all of the theorizing and tr like all everyone trying to come up with what's going to happen in Endgame, I, I don't think we know. No, the day, I think that's what it comes down to, which is great. It's fantastic that we don't know. Yeah, I mean at the at the end of Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War. I mean, I I literally got every single call wrong. <laughs> like, like if you took my list of people who I was like these, these are the people that are going to eat it at the end of the movie. It was the exact opposite. Those were the people that lived, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? You yeah, fooled I me. Mean, you fooled me, Russos. Yeah, they're they're good at what they fucking do. And if you follow like the Russo storyline, like all the movies they've done, it's like they hit every time. They do something unexpected. They do something strange. And they do it really, really well, and they make it so that it has like a huge emotional impact. So good for them. So then the other, other uh, post-credit scene, which is just the Florian coughing up the tesseract on Nick Fury's desk. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. That's fun. A, that's fun. We, I mean, we knew that Nick Fury had the tesseract. Yeah. So. He had to get out of that cat somehow. I'm glad he didn't have to stab the cat and skin it. <laughs> Especially after, after it tore his, tore his eye out. Yeah. I remember writing the comic books. They explained that the Flurkin inside of their bodies have like a wormhole to another dimension. That's I've heard that. Yeah, it's really weird. So. Um, since we were talking about the Stan Lee cameo earlier. I've heard someone propose online. I want to get Doug's opinion since he thinks this should be the last Stanley one. That uh, Deadpool actually takes over the Stanley cameos now, but he wears like the mustache and the glasses like over his mask. No, no. I was, was going to say that's really fucking funny, but it's at, funny. The same, at the same time, it's not funny. Can you imagine you're watching like a Winter Soldier style movie and then there's fucking Deadpool? No, I don't know. <laughs> Again, See, I think I think Deadpool should be kept completely separate. He can reference the MCU all he wants. That's great. But don't bring him in at all. Actually, see, I'm okay with it, but I think it should be like Easter egg style where, you know, there's a fight scene and they're flying by stuff. And if you pause it at the right moment, Deadpool's like buying a newspaper at a newspaper stand somewhere in the background. <sighs> I guess that would bug me less. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't want him showing up in there. I think that type of humor doesn't belong in these movies. That's yeah. I, I like the Deadpool movies. I've enjoyed them all. Like I 
I've only seen two. I haven't seen the re-release of two yet, where they made it. I haven't seen Fred Savage's appearance. Put it I haven't either. But. I want to. Have they said is is Taika Waititi doing more uh, Marvel movies? I don't think so. He's not on board. They tried to get him to do. They claim they tried to get him to do Guardians Three, and he's just like, "Fuck no, <laughs> I'm not stepping on that landmine." <laughs> Um, I was going to say something. Back, though. I think he'll do more. Now, here, here's what I proposed when the Disney-Fox merger was first announced. And maybe this will sway a little bit, Doug, at least for this type of situation. So I deemed that they should re-release all of the Marvel movies up to this point. And then George Lucas, like, superimposed, like, Deadpool into the movies somewhere. Like, special edition. <laughs> Really sure what you think is going to happen with this, but and then every Marvel movie should come with a alternate uh, audio commentary of Ryan Reynolds in character as Deadpool doing a commentary about the movie. My response says, "Yeah, fine with the commentary stuff. You don't have you're all repeating yourself. You don't have to say Ryan Reynolds in character as Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. I won't ever do anything else now." <laughs> He pretty much was Deadpool before they even allowed him to yeah. put the suit on. But yeah, oh, yeah. No, I don't care what the commentary tracks like. I think that, that'd be funny, but I don't think I'd go and buy discs for that. And I can uh, see like, if they did like remember when they had uh, when Deadpool Two was coming out and they re-released all those other movies on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, Deadpool on the cover for some reason. If they re-released all the Marvel movies like that. That'd be funny. <laughs> I'd be okay I, with that. All that, st- all that kind of fun stuff, yeah, great, as long as it's not affecting the content of the movie. I know you guys don't follow comic book stuff uh, all that closely, but in the comic books, they've been ratcheting up the return of uh, Johnny Blaze as Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think that might be movie signaling. Think so? to getting Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just on Ace of the Show. That's the other. That's the the market that they haven't tapped with the MCU yet is going the more horror route. You have Ghost Rider out there, or Blade. You could try that. What's the What's the Marvel Werewolf one? Is it Werewolf by Night? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, there's been rumors that Wesley Snipes has been in talks to come and do Blade. I do not want Wesley Snipes back. No. Anti Snipes. I'm not saying he was terrible in those movies, but those movies are what they are. They're of their time. I do not want anything that connects those movies to the MCU. If they if they hadn't already uh, wasted Idris Elba as uh, uh, what's his face yeah. sword sword boy sword boy he, he, I he, think that's what it said in the credits uh, right Heimdall Heimdall thank you yeah. he sh- he should have been Blade that'd be fine you just want Idris Elba for every role where the character has any possibility of being black though yeah I do. I do. Yeah, or Terry Crews. Idris Elba or Terry Crews, depending on if it needs to be funny or serious. Yeah, because I don't know if we talked about that either, but Will Smith is out for Suicide Squad 2. Idris Elba's in. That's That's an upgrade. Huge change in the character, though, right? I don't care. That's a huge upgrade for me. That's fine. I don't have a problem. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, completely reboot Suicide Squad and just do a good version of it instead. That's what DC should really do, is they should reboot all of their series and just instead of what they've been doing is make good movies. 
Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.